0: Welcome to this uh, very special reissue or re-release that we're doing here from the Cinephiles. I am John Roca, joined as always by my partner in crime on this podcast, Steve Morris. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm, you know, recovering from Comic-Con, but also getting a uh, one-two punch of uh, sadness yesterday uh, as we're recording this, losing not only David Warner, a fantastic character actor, uh, you know, we've done Star Trek VI where he was a Klingon. We've done uh, other films uh, here uh, that we've enjoyed, or we've, we've watched other films that we enjoy from David Warner. But the Paul Sorvino loss uh, also that happened yesterday is the one that's really kind of affected me a little bit more. I mean, Steve, we're, we've we've seen Paulie Walnuts, we've seen Ray Liotta, we've seen James Caan, and now we've seen... Paul Sorvino sadly pass away in a span of 30 to 40 days. It's pretty uh, insane to see it happening quite in this way. Uh, and it's sad to lose such a fantastic actor who, in my opinion, was always up for doing whatever he felt he could be wanted to do. And he's played villains and heroes and cads and um, people with drug addictions and people with gambling addictions He's also appeared in music videos um, and any and in the Rocketeer as someone to cheer for there as well. So his career has spanned numerous decades and even had a daughter who won an Oscar right. near Sorvino for uh, for that Woody Allen film. And so um, I'm just a little down that we lost a talent that I've personally enjoyed in a number of projects, whether they
1: be on screen or on TV. I, I get it. And, and I, I feel the same way. And. Thinking about just because you mentioned it, yeah, a clip of Mira Sorvino winning the Oscar, yeah, going around and watching her thank her dad and watching Paul Sorvino's. I mean, obviously, we can't know what a person is really like based on one clip off of an. Of course, sure, 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 sure. But man, he for everything I've kind of seen, he seems like he was just a down-to-earth go-to guy who was very different. What's interesting to me, by the way, is that in my brain. I go to Goodfellas. That's the first. Goodfellas, first. yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, Vino. Um, and, and so you would think he's this person who would get typecast as like the mobster guy. And and nothing could be further from the truth. His, his set of roles is all over the place. Yeah. I have an amazing range. Including
0: the film we're talking about today, re-releasing today. Oh, God. I mean, he plays essentially uh, a Southern evangelical preacher in the vein of Jimmy Swaggart, of Jim Baker, of... Uh, uh, Oral Roberts of those of those um, people that were a huge back in the 1980s and early into the 1990s uh, in their abilities to influence uh, the religious community and get them get these poor people to send them money. I always think of that line from u uh, two from Bullet the Blue Sky, with the, you know the the God I believe in isn't short of cash, Mister. When I think about evangelicals, and I thought his portrayal here in this comedy, although he is an antagonist. His portrayal here is actually really charming with that accent of his. And this is a guy who was born in Brooklyn, yeah. um, you know, has Italian descent. So him conveying uh, an evangelical preacher in a believable way was not something you'd expect
1: from Paul Sorvino, yet he absolutely did a fantastic job with it. I think there's this weird thing where you get, as an actor, yeah. you get offered a gig and you have the choice of, <laughs> do I fully go for it? <laughs> and man, does Paul Sorvino go for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He just is so, and, and it's funny too, is I think, because I love this movie, by the way, and, yeah. and this is this is one of the odd sort of smaller films that we've done over the years that I'm really, really glad we did. Yeah. it's just got so much to say. And I think this framed... In my brain, yeah. a certain attitude towards the, you know, evangelical, I'm actually only interested in money and power and prestige kind of preacher. So that when those, you know, all those people came around in the 80s, Jim and Tan Baker and all, this is where my brain went. Is yeah. Paul Sorvino lot made me not trust yeah. this particular group of people with that <laughs> performance, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, not just that, obviously,
0: as I mentioned earlier, I mean, remember him as Henry Kissinger and Nixon. Um, Right. Remember him as the the head of the Capulets there in Romeo and Juliet, the Boz Lerman film. And then, you know, I was watching some scenes from the cooler last night of film. I haven't seen this ever. Right. And he plays this entertainer who is addicted to heroin and he delivers this great kind of mini monologue about a nature special, watching the pride of lions, watching the old lion getting beat up by the young lion because his time has passed it's time for the young lion to run the bride and realizing that that's that's his uh, destiny now um and so it's just fascinating how he was able to deliver these lines and then of course as i said then he's doing law and order i, I really liked his episodes of law and i would love to see him continue and there were some contractual issues so he didn't but then shows up something like dick tracy his lips mantless or shows up in in the Black Widow video for uh, Rita Ora uh, there as well. So just just fascinating how he was able to play all of these different roles. And then even with James Caan. I can't remember the film. I can't remember the name of the film where like he's a he's James Caan's bookie and James Caan is like down this wormhole of being a gambling addict. He's fantastic with James Caan in that film. So there's so many phenomenal roles. And he only did like 50 some films. But the the roles he did were so memorable that whenever you heard the name, you were like, oh, cool. Or you saw him on screen, like, oh, he's in this? Great. You know, you you knew you were in good hands with an actor
1: like It's so funny, I think, but because you know, I wanted to be an actor when I was a kid. That mm-hmm. was before kind of realizing I wasn't really the greatest actor <laughs> and switching to like writing and directing. Right. Um, I really wanted to be an actor. And of course, what kind of actor did I want to be? I wanted to be a movie star because right, what kind of but and, and it's funny thinking about it now because we talked about people like Paul Sorvino or people like Cloris Leachman or people, yeah. you know, these actors yeah. who just had these long careers where they were good in comedies and they were good in dramas and they could be on a TV show and they could, and they just kept working and looking at it now it's like, man, that's what to be. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. movie star, being a movie star is not that fun. I mean, it's oh, fun for it's parts of, of it. Yeah. But yeah. Well, you can only stay on top for so long unless you're Tom Cruise, you know, you're constantly trying to stay on top.
0: That's the sad truth of it when you're a movie star and you're always worried about your brand worried about if you're making the right decisions And in the end, is is that going to be enough to push you over the line? You don't know. And so there's all of that that it handles with Musso, which is why being a character actor, which is what Paul Sorvino essentially was, is the way to do it. And Steve, I want to swing back to the thing that you mentioned here earlier with Goodfellas. Let's talk about that role. I mean, we, we couldn't reissue Goodfellas because we'd already done that for Ray Liotta. So we thought we'd reissue, oh, God, in honor of Paul Sorvino here. But like, We'd be remiss not to dive into that role a little bit more. You know, this is one of those rare roles that Paul, Paul Sorvino played, where he was the boss, he was the yeah. head of that family. And I love that line when he, uh, you know, when Ray Liotta's talking the voiceover and talking, Paul, he didn't move for anybody. You know, that kind of yeah. thing. You know, and, and he when he moved, he moved with purpose. Uh, and there was just such a great air to him in that film, and that scene with him and Ray Liotta when he's talking about. Uh, drugs and don't sell drugs. Don't do drugs. Don't sell the drugs. Don't get me in trouble. The slap was an improvisation, and you can see it on Leota's face when he slaps him. Like Leota's like, what the what the fuck? So I mean, it's a great moment, but that's how deep in this role he was. And so I just think he deserves so much credit for for an iconic an, an iconic role, not just Ray Liotta and J- Joe Pesci, yeah. and Robert De Niro,
1: but him in this movie as well. Well, and think about just contrast his role in Goodfellas with his role in the movie that we're talking about today. Yes. I mean, that's like, they're so polar opposites. And the thing is, is, and it's interesting too, like in Martin Scorsese movies, you think about like the dynamism that you think about how active they are, how intense they are, how there's fast talking, there's lots of action. And you think, and you put Paul Sorvino in the middle of that being so still and so quiet and holding so much power with his quietness and his stillness. Yeah. And then you look at him in Oh God, where it's like an explosion. And what he's really doing is showing his weakness through all of his activity and his loudness, yeah. you know? So they're like the, the complete opposite. That is, that is the range of an actor right there. Yes, for sure. And, and the thing that, that I saw in some of the comments that I didn't know about is he would
0: show up at Italian restaurants and sing opera at these restaurants while people, while he was there to eat he also performed opera every once in a while. If there was a live piano player or live band there, he would get up and just perform opera. And so there were quite a number of stories of people in New York who would see him uh, uh, do that uh, in his life and in his career, just heading on down there to do that. So, I mean, he's legitimately like an Italian guy. Like this is an Italian guy with the heritage, with the uh, um, everything that comes with that. And I think that's something that should be very much appreciated as we see so many people – you know kind of trying to figure out how to be part of everything here's a guy who was very much part of one thing
1: himself but was able to be so many different characters through his performances well and you look at like what he looks like what his the power he is Mm -hmm. and what kind of person you think he is by watching like goodfellas Mm -hmm. and what it seems like he really is was he was the artist he was a sculptor he sang opera he wrote he was like living the life of the of the working artist in yeah. all sorts of different ways. That's really who he was, and of course, you know, has a, Mira Sorvino as his daughter, who she says he, she taught he taught her everything she knows about acting. Yeah, you know, like that's this is a it's, it's he seems like he seems like one of those people I would have loved to have met. Oh, absolutely. You know? Like, he seems like someone to sit down and talk and maybe have a big bowl of pasta with him and let him sing some opera. That sounds absolutely fantastic.
0: I mean, yeah, and and that's not one you record. You just kind of keep that one as a memory for yourself, that dinner you had with Paul Sorvino at 11 o'clock at night, you know, in some small Italian restaurant in the middle of Brooklyn. Uh, And one more thing here, he suffered from asthma, severe asthma, and Mm. it almost stopped him from becoming an actor. And he had to learn new breathing exercises in order to be able to function and become successful as an actor. Uh, And so he wrote a book about it for those of you who may suffer with asthma, who who listen to us or watch us that helped him with it. It's called How to Become a Former Asthmatic. And he also started the Sorvino Asthma Foundation that's based in New York City to help with people who deal with severe asthma or asthma in their lives. how it can affect their daily, um,
1: uh, daily lives, you know, work or otherwise. So, yeah. well, that's really cool. I mean, think about what kind of breath support it takes yeah. to be an opera singer.
0: Right. When you have asthma, wow.
1: can yeah. you imagine?
0: Yeah, exactly. So, and it's a man of stage and of film and television. So certainly being able to control your breath and use your breath is essential in all those, uh, situations. So, um, you know, incredible, uh, determination by him to achieve success. Well, 83 is not a bad time to kick off, but it's sad for us to lose him. He had just been in Godfather of Harlem, fantastic series with him, and Forrest Whitaker, so certainly leaving some good, good work here before he passes on. Uh, but, um, Steve, I think without further ado, we should enjoy uh, the acting work of Paul Sorvino here, as long, along with John Denver and uh, George Burns and Terry Garr uh, in this fantastic film, Oh God, here from the Cinefiles.
2: How can you permit all the suffering that goes on in the world?
0: Ah, uh, how can I permit the suffering?
2: Yeah.
3: I don't permit the suffering. You do. Free will. All the choices are yours. Choices? What choices? You can love each other, cherish and nurture each other, you can kill each other.
1: Welcome once again to the Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca.
0: I'm a voiceover artist and
1: a writer, producer, and host over at the Outlaw Nation. You know what I was just thinking? Every, every, every week I say I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor. Yeah. Not only have I not made a film in a while, I'm not currently a directing instructor. Oh, I've been, I've been laid off because of lack of enrollment because of the coronavirus. I did not know that by the way, this is actually something I did not know before you just said it. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. So I'm not, I'm not teaching in the summer session and, and I get it. Like who wants to go to film school when you can't actually make a film? Yeah. You know? And so enrollments like down in half and cut in half and we'll see what happens in the fall. But at this moment, I have not made a film in a while, and I'm not a directing instructor. I am a <laughs> writing a book and a podcaster. I guess that's what I am right now. Yeah, um, yeah okay. And uh, today, once again, we're here for the sad reason, although this one isn't that sad. Right, right. Because we lost the great Carl Reiner at the age of 98. It's not too bad. And it's not bad. <laughs> I think he did real well. Yeah. And he has a very interesting life, and we want to do a little tribute to him, and we want to talk, we talked about what would be our favorite movie of his to do. I know, obviously, he did four films with Steve Martin, including The Jerk. He did one of Your and My Guilty Pleasures, I know, which is Summer School. Yeah. But the film that we chose is Oh God, and I'm really glad we did, because this is a very special movie for me, and I want to give a little bit of biography of Carl Reiner. He was born in 1922, unsurprisingly, of Jewish immigrants, as Basically, almost every single one of these comedy people of this era was Jewish, with very (laughs) few exceptions, Dick Van Dyke being one of them. Um, He was just working as a machinist at 16 years old when he saw an ad for a drama program uh, sponsored by the WPA because it was the middle of the Depression. And so if uh, President Roosevelt hadn't decided that artists needed to be supported in tough economic times, Carl Reiner probably would never have become a person we were talking about. And since we're right in the middle of another event like that, just want to point out, artists need our support. Yep. Um, He was drafted in 1942. He worked as a radio operator and a French interpreter. Um, He was in Hawaii, and he was working as a teleprinter operator. And the night before he was supposed to ship out in World War II, he went to a special services production of Hamlet and an actor in it who had known him from the New York theater, Maurice Evans. Oh, wow. Saw him and drafted him into the special service. Dr. Zayas himself (laughs) is the person that we owe Carl Reiner not going off to war and instead working for special services doing sketch comedy and monologues and songs and directing and all of that stuff. Uh, He married uh, Estelle uh, Lobos, I think her last name, Estelle Reiner in 1943. And of course, she is most famous for being the person who said, I'll have what she's having in Rob Reiner's When Harry Met Sally. They were married right up until she died, I think, in 2008. So that's a tremendous, tremendous marriage. After the war, he went into Broadway musicals. And in 1950, he was offered the job of straight man on your show, Shows with Sid Caesar. And, of course, this is... Something that's coming up over and over again on the Cinephiles, the greatest writing team of all time, came up when we talked about Mel Brooks. It came up when we talked about Woody Allen, who was on this uh, writing staff, as well as Mel Tolkien, Neil Simon, the playwright, his brother, Sam Simon, and Larry Gelbart, who is the uh, writer of the film today and also the person who created MASH for television, also the writer of Tootsie. This is an unbelievable writing staff. 1960, uh, well, what I should say is in the mid 50s, he started doing this little joke sketch with his friend Mel Brooks at parties. Yep. And everyone would say, hey, dude, do the 2000 year old man. And all the 2000 year old man was, is that he would go up to Mel Brooks and ask him a question. Mel Brooks had no idea what the question was gonna be. And he would <laughs> improvise as a 2000 year old man, the answer. And they continued doing this up until at least the last few years. And Mel still didn't know what Carl was going to ask him. What was the means of transportation then? Mostly fear. Fear
3: transported you? Fear, yes. You would see, an animal would, would growl. You would go two miles in a
4: minute.
1: They put out the first comedy album of this in 1960. Uh, it won a Grammy. Um, in 1959, he created a TV show called Head of the Family. And he starred in Head of the Family. And Head of the Family was a story of the head writer of a, a variety show modeled after the show of shows. Uh, and Carl Reiner starred in it. They shot it, the network didn't like it, and it got stuck in a drawer. And a, two years later, the network said, you know, we really liked that idea of that show. We just didn't like you in the lead. <laughs> and so they brought in Dick Van Dyke, Dick Van Dyke. who had been started in my, uh, uh, Bye Bye Birdie on Broadway. And it became the Dick Van Dyke Show. And this is one of the great sitcoms of all time. Agreed. I mean that you know. Yes, we could talk about the honeymooners and I Love Lucy as these formative sitcoms. I think, in a lot of ways, Dick Van Dyke show is the master class of this is how you do classic situation comedy.
0: I remember that being one of the first shows I watched as a kid growing up. You know, they showed the reruns there uh, growing up in, in in DC and watching that. And Da-da-da-da-da. all of it him tripping over the ottoman mary tyler moore playing his wife you know these this was the kind of stuff that my parents loved who were into discovering american culture so i would sit with them and watch these shows and be immersed in this kind of uh, uh comedy and i loved it man and and it's when i heard that story read that story a few years ago about it, that it was Carl reiner's show initially right. that they replaced him i thought that was really funny and they made the right move because clearly uh carl's not necessarily
1: a lead but the Dick is so 15 Emmys, it, and and they quit right while on top. Yeah, the the, the the it is like four or five seasons, and they said we're good, and they stopped. And if you, I swear, if you go like go on Google or something and do a search for the top 10 Dick Van Dyke shows and watch some of them, yeah, they're great. They're so, they're, the writing. whole cast is so funny, yep. and, and and they do all sorts of different stuff. It is a great, great show. Yeah. Um, he uh, acted in "The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming," yeah. but was very unhappy with the way people were handing his material, and that's when he's really started directing. Yeah, uh, he directed uh, "Enter Laughing," which is based on his book, which is a very interesting book, kind of semi autobiographical about him as a kid becoming going into the theater. In 77, he did Oh God, which we're gonna talk about today. 79 is The Jerk, then three more films with uh, Steve Martin, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, The Man With Two Brains, and All of Me, all yeah. of which are very funny. Yeah. In the year 2000, he won the Mark Twain Award. In 2001, he was in the first Ocean's Eleven in there. So, yep. so this is an unbelievable career. <laughs> he is the only person, I believe, in history to be on The Tonight Show with every single one of its hosts. Yep. Jack Parr, Steve Allen, Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, and Jimmy Fallon. He, he appeared on The Tonight Show with all of them. And I'm going to say something. I'm going to make a statement okay. about him. I go. think he might be the greatest straight man of all time. Yeah. I don't think you can. Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, so so you start with your show shows, and that's his mm-hmm. job is to support one of the funniest people in the world, Sid Caesar. Then we have the two thousand year old man, where he is with one of the funniest people in the world, Mel Brooks. And then, in my opinion, kind of being the director is in a weird way being the straight man. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so he brings us uh, Dick Van Dyke and shepherds that show, and then he he brings Steve Martin into the world of film. You know, yeah. and, and, and so I think his ability to support other people that are really talented is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, Carl Reiner for me, uh, Steve, is one of my favorite uh, uh, comedians for so many reasons. And he does get, we'll get into it when we get into the movie, he does get a little funny moment him, that he puts himself in in the movie as well. But, you know, growing up, and you've said this to me before, you know, that I'm, uh, you know, unofficially uh, Jewish or into the Jewish tribe because of my love of Jewish comedians. And certainly Carl Reiner falls into that, Mel Brooks. There's so many, these people decorated my upbringing. They, they're, all their comedy, sure. their situation, those are the things that I watch. On repeat all the time, and Carl Reiner was one of those guys that you saw all the time pop up as, a, as as a guest star on so many of these incredible shows. And he always was fantastic. He was always funny. He was always good at what he was doing. He was always inventive. He was always brilliant. So for me, you know, it, watching those shows was better than any comedy class you can take. Any any uh, uh, instructive situation you could find yourself in, just plop yourself down, and if you have any remote interest in being an actor or understanding comedy. Watch those shows that Carl Reiner is involved in. Watch those shows that he writes. Even when I when I did Laughter on the Twenty Third Floor, the Neil Simon play about right. your show of shows, it, I played the Russian writer. I played Val, and it was great to explore that text and then go back and uh, find news articles or uh, at the infancy of the of the internet, look up you know uh, stuff about uh, your show of shows and the recollections that Sid Caesar had about his time on there with Mel Brooks. Carl Reiner, uh, uh, Moody Allen so many people came out of there like I said Larry Gelber, so many people involved uh, in, in in it and so it was great to see that and then they would all pop up in 80s sitcoms as older sure. comedic actors as either the moms or the dads of the new generation of comedic actors that were popping up in sitcoms so for me they've always been a part of my life and Carl Reiner was somebody who, I, who just always kept tabs on and then you know like you said Summer School a bunch of his other films that I really enjoyed watching, I always loved his approach to comedy uh, and his delicacy with which he approached comedy he respected it uh, and understood it but also knew how to use it to get a point across subtly underneath the surface of everything that was happening you know and i always appreciated that with with carl reiner and of course he spawns rob reiner who uh you know decorates the 1980s and early 90s with some great movies that i still revere and we've talked about On the show before. So, yeah, great stuff, man. Just a great legacy. If you're 98, you're going to go this is a good legacy to leave yeah. for the world, man. And, and one last thing, sorry, Steve, one last thing. His friendship with Mel Brooks kind of decorated the last 10 years of my life as I listened to them on multiple podcasts, Mark Marin, other stuff, their interviews, you can watch them on YouTube. And their friendship is such a thing to cherish. The fact that they would still go over every day to either Mel's house or Carl's house, sit down at four o'clock in the afternoon, watch shows, have their dinner and hang out with each other every day. Uh, who doesn't want to have a friendship like that in life uh, that guides you through so many things, weathers all the storms and is there
1: for you until the end. Yeah. I, I'm picturing you and Shannon McClung in your nineties <laughs> going to visit each other every day. Uh, Vogel will still be there somewhere.
0: He'll, he'll probably he'll own the place. In. He'll, he'll, he'll probably own the place that we're hanging out in, but yes. yes. He,
1: he, he has a <laughs> lot of people to visit though.
0: He does. He does. You're right. You're right.
1: Uh, a little bit of pre-production. I didn't know this was based on a book. (laughs) I had no idea. I thought it was all Larry Gelbart. It's based on a book by Avery Corman who also wrote Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so the book was very short, so I found it on Audible. It was four hours long, which means listening to it at two and a half times speed. It only took me like an hour and a half. (laughs) It's terrible. Oh, okay. It's it's like, it's the perfect example of, this is a, a movie where they bought the idea. Mm-hmm. there is a guy who's uh, contacted by God who's like an old Jewish man yeah the character is totally different the situation is totally different and all the wit and wisdom is not there yeah you know and and I so I think if you're a screenwriter and you're interested in doing adaptive screenplays I think you should read two books and watch two movies the first one is read Peter Benchley's jaws mm. and then watch the movie and then read Avery Corman's Oh, God, and then watch the movie and understand how they took something. I mean, Peter Benchley's Jaws is a very average book. Yeah. And how they took that and transformed that into something great. Yeah. Yeah. But the idea is so good, it was optioned over and over again, but nobody could figure out how to make it. Yeah. Finally, Larry Gilbart bought the screenplay. And I want to tell my Larry Gilbart story. I told this story four years ago when we did Young Frankenstein. Oh, okay. Which is that there's a there was, I watched a, um, a panel, like a PBS panel, where they had the whole crew from your show of shows, including Sid Caesar and Imogene Coco and the whole writing staff. Yeah. And they asked Carl Reiner about what it was like to be the head writer in that room, and or Mel Tolkien, I think was the head writer in the room, and they, and they said, well, we were lucky because we have the funniest person in the world in Mel Brooks, and the wittiest person in the world in Larry Gelbart. And the, and perfectly, the interviewer asks the follow-up question. What's the difference between funny and witty? And as he's finished, he hasn't even finished that question yet. <laughs> Mel is taking a drink of water and does a huge spit take all over the stage in the mid-sentence. And then there's, a, and everyone laughs, and there's a pause, and Larry Gelbart very calmly turns to the interviewer and says, Wit is dry. <laughs> it's <laughs> just so perfect in this mm. is and and Larry Gelbart a great writer obviously and uh he at first thought he was going to direct it and mm-hmm. since the old guy old Jewish guy in the book was kind of a Mel Brooksy character he went to Mel Brooks to play God right. and he went to Woody Allen his f- co-writer on the show of shows to play the the main character yeah makes sense both of, both of them said um, we're directing our own movies. <laughs> we didn't want to do this. Yeah. And really, thank God, I can't, I'm so happy, particularly Mel Brooks didn't do this movie. Really, both yeah. of them. Yeah, It would be, it'd be totally different. Yes. Um, yes. And so that fell through. And uh, Carl Reiner, who had initially refused to do it because it seemed too much like the 2,000-year-old man, and he didn't want to do that, Now got talked in to do it, and one of the producers that came on is Jerry Weintraub, who is Mm. literally still producing today. He's an executive producer on Westworld. Yeah. And Jerry Weintraub, which I didn't realize, you want to know how he got his start? How? John Denver's manager. Ah! (laughs) So what he had produced was all the John Denver specials on TV. That's what I used to watch like crazy. They're great. And so he's the guy who convinced John Denver, who had never acted before, to do this film. Um, Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I want to talk about one more person and then we'll get into the film. Um, and that person is Diane Crittenden Mm -hmm. and Diane Crittenden is the casting director. And if you were at my house, you would know that every single time on this podcast, I say, man, this is a great cast and do not say the name of the casting director. (laughs) My wife is mad at me and rightly should. So because casting directors are a much maligned profession. And I want to tell you a little bit about. Diane Crittenden, because she is amazing. Okay, She did, this same year, Star Wars. Wow. Going in Style, Mosquito Coast, Witness, The Main Event, a whole bunch of good movies, and she did 13 Days with Kevin Costner, where my wife was working in the accounting department. Okay. And she was very unhappy, and she was doing paperwork for Diane Crittenden for, you know, expenses, yeah. and talked to her about, that she was unhappy and they just started chatting and Karen said I have a theater background and Diane Crittenden said well why don't you get into casting mm-hmm. why are you doing accounting that you hey well, you should get into casting that is why my wife went into casting wow this woman that conversation she went maybe I should do that yeah so she is both an important person in terms of casting and I got to tell you this cast is crazy how yeah. many people are in it that have these little tiny parts that are great people and uh, also has a big effect on my life because that's changed the direction of my wife's uh, life. Right. Right. And of course the most important casting person we have to, we have to mention is George Burns. Yeah.
0: George Burns.
1: He's great. Yeah. He was 81 when he uh, made this, he lived to be 99, almost just shy of a hundred. I think mm-hmm. uh, how, do you remember how you first came to Oh God? Yes, I do. It was
0: my dad, my dad. Uh, had, uh, he took us to see the film. He took us to see the film, and I remember just – because it was a sweet film, and he loved John Denver, and John Denver radiated G ratings. And so we went to see something safe with him, and I just found myself um, just thoroughly enjoying because I'd seen George Burns in Variety Hours. So seeing him in this film, I just was at that age where I could grasp a little bit of what – there was to enjoy for a kid of my Age in this movie and uh, I was a John Denver fan as, a, as a, His music as well so there was a lot of things That were working in conjunction for Me uh, that uh, helped me to enjoy The film and it's been one of my favorites ever since Whenever it's come on television and I remember my dad we went to go see the sequel We went to see oh god yeah, you me book, t- and we went To see oh god you devil which was a terrible Movie and a terrible experience but we went Hoping it might be good but yeah So this was a film that was a very big part Of our uh, community Love as a family of a movie, and it, uh, this one was certainly uh, was in that category.
1: For me, it's exactly the same. Uh, it was, you know, I'd seen We All Love John Denver, sang those songs, had those albums, saw him on The Muppet Show, went with the family right. to see it because it was a family friendly thing. And this movie, I must have watched, I don't know how many times I watched it yeah. as a kid. Over every time I was on, I watched it. It was on yeah. a lot. I don't think I had seen it in 10 years when we sat down to watch it last uh, over the weekend. Mm-hmm. and. I gotta say, I was nervous because yeah. I was like, is it gonna hold up? Is it gonna be cheesy? And, a uh, spoiler alert, I think it totally holds up. I, I think, it, think it's still topical today, Steve. Yeah. yeah. And I think, does it look like kind of a lower budget, family-friendly 70s film? Sure. Is the music of a very specific, family-friendly 70s style of film score? Absolutely. But does it hold up? Oh yeah. This is a brilliant film in a lot of ways. Would you like to get into Oh God? And the movie opens with that 70s music, and we are watching a montage of John Denver, the assistant manager of Food World, played his character is Jerry Landers. And this is crystal perfect Save the Cat. And what Save the Cat means is have your main character do something good so we're going to know they're a good person and like them. And he does like five or six things where you get who this guy is and that he's a really good guy yeah the the most interesting one by the way is he sees a woman shoplifting some meat and when she goes to check out he steps in and and takes over the cash register and we don't know exactly what he's going to do right but we know he's 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 gonna handle it in a gentle way whatever he does right uh and he jumps into his amc pacer (laughs) and drives home uh and there we meet uh Terry Gar, it's like the morning and they're getting ready. And and uh, this is by the way our fourth Terry Gar movie. Yeah. Um and, and shout out to Terry Gar, Steve,
0: who always seems to take these roles of being the frustrated wife of a guy who's you know going through some weird shit, you know. So like close to the third kind and this movie, you could definitely uh, see very similar situations that both of them are going through.
1: what's crazy about that, and by the way, the other movies we did with her are Young Frankenstein and Black Stallion, yeah, that she's in. Uh, where her parts are very different. But with Close Encounters, they're really close. Mm -hmm. And she shot them back to back. This is both (laughs) 1977. She plays the wife of someone who's going through a crazy stuff, who's embarrassed and finds it really difficult. The difference is, and this, man, go watch those two performances. Because they're really different. Yes, Even though, kind of, she's playing the same beats. Yes, but she's nicer in oh god that she, than she is in
0: close encounters of the third kind she's more understanding and forgiving in oh god than she is in close encounters
1: of the third kind so yeah two yeah. different characters for sure and she's you know he's john denver has some weird mirror thing so he can <laughs> cut the back of his hair or something and she's using like a a breast exercise thing that yeah. there's a little joke on that that is was actually terry's device and that was her idea to do that <laughs> I just want to point out something and I'm going to hit it a couple of times is I, I listened to the commentary track. Commentary oh. track had Carl Reiner, Larry nice. Gobart, and Terry Gar. Oh, that's great. Um, it's okay. It's a good commentary track, not a great one. Okay. They make so many kind of old man comments about Terry Gar's appearance and mm. how sexy she is mm. throughout this thing that was just and you hear Terry going, "Oh, yeah. yeah." And you could just hear the I'm still dealing with this yeah because in this moment and throughout they're like oh look at your legs you know that everyone wanted you you know that right wow. you know it was wow. all this stuff it was like and it wasn't yeah. that it wasn't maybe quite as spot on as that although it was pretty close mm-hmm. you know we, we, we all wanted to date you all this kind of stuff and it was like oh stop why are you yeah. doing this yeah anyway yeah. yeah it was creepy and uh we have normal family talk and then he opens up a letter and he reacts The letter says, God grants you an interview and gives an address and time.
2: It's a gag. No stamp, no return address. Pretty crazy gag.
1: And then, and again, this is very good screenwriting. He blows his nose, throws the tissue, misses the garbage can.
2: Airball. Artie Coogan. What? Artie Coogan.
4: That's it. Oh, yeah.
2: No, an English teacher wouldn't misspell interview.
4: Well, neither would God.
1: <laughs> and anyway, he can't go to this meeting because he's got something to, he's got a meeting for work and they say goodnight. And he he crumples up the thing and throws it in the basket and says, Sorry, God. Two points. Because he makes it. Yeah. And this is why it was important that he missed the shot first because he—because we want to focus on the fact that he's made this shot, goes to sleep, suddenly wakes up because the TV's on with static, puts his head back down. There's a crumpling sound. And that letter is under his head mm-hmm. and he picks it up, bleary eyed and goes, but i am it was two points. <laughs> and now we're at the grocery store with the first of this amazing cast, which is David Ogden Stiers. The voice of Cogsworth in Beauty and the
0: Beast. He was on MASH for years. He, I think he's still, wait, is he, did he pass? No, he passed away a, f- oh, okay. couple,
1: a few years ago. Yeah, but he's a character actor extraordinaire, man. Such a good actor, and he's upset because he's pruning back his romaine too much and he's not oiling his cukes. Your cukes, the you oil, your cukes, the you oil, your cukes. And Jerry, being the good guy, says, No, I can't treat my customers like that, it's dishonest. And then, as he's looking at this big, fluffy romaine, he pulls out a leaf, and what's inside the leaf? The, paper. the letter. He goes, I gotta go. Yeah, drives off to the building where he's supposed to meet God. Do you know what building this is? Uh, I think it's the one of the twin towers down there in Century City, right? No. It is oh. the same LADWP building that we just talked about oh. that they go into in Inception. Wow. It's okay. <laughs> just, just crazy. That's, that literally just recently we talked about this exact same building in Los okay. Angeles. Okay. He goes to get in the elevator. No one gets in and a whole crowd of people run to try to get the elevator that he's in, but it closes before they get there. The door opens on the 27th floor. Very white. There's tension in the music. He opens the door. It's a white room with a chair and a white intercom box. Looks around, starts to leave, and we hear...
3: Stay. What is this? You're right on time. I like that.
0: This is how the interview room would look like, right? I mean, the idea of it all being all white and clean and sparse. And w- this is the first of many hints that he is, that God is trying to present things in a way that uh, humans have created in their heads that they would... S- conceive of or accept as being from god who's that Artie?
3: god come on arty no it's me god god almighty big g
1: <laughs> and by the way john denver picks up the intercom which is not attached to anything there's no wires on it
3: how
2: do i know you're god i mean all i hear is a voice on an intercom well you're not allowed to see me
1: which is something that obviously we violate in a couple of scenes from now. Yeah. Anyway,
0: <laughs> this is so brilliant to watch now. Steve as older men, as men who've watched so many films, analyzed so many films, you know, ripped them apart, put them back together, like gotten into the deepness of it all and export themes and all of that. This is such a brilliant film. There are so many great, well-written scenes between George Burns and John Denver that, can have more meaning than what you're just watching, right? In this situation, they've essentially taken the stories that we've read in the Bible and brought it into what was at the time modern times. Right? Uh, Moses, same thing, uh, you know, questioning God, not, not believing that God would pick him. Why would you pick me? I can't even speak that well for public all of this idea that God picks people who are not who you'd normally think would be their messengers, and there's a reason for it, you know? Same thing here with Jerry. Jerry's not even a believer in God, in which we find out in a little bit. But this whole idea that every single person he picks is like doesn't believe that it's actually God talking to them has to question it and then has to see certain things in order to finally accept it. But it's that thing, again, of faith, faith versus religion, right? Faith is believing there's a bridge there when you don't see one, right? Religion is telling everybody there's a bridge there, having them give you money, and then they go ahead before you do. And that's what I love about this film. It shows you, again, that faith in anything uh, will cost you something, uh, especially if it's faith when you feel like you're standing alone, to prove something or to change something in the world. And just, this is the beginning here of someone uh, questioning the situation because they don't think they're worthy or they don't think it's the right
1: situation for them to be in. And I, I love that. Well, and I mean, to, to your point, this intercom is the is the burning bush. Yes, the burning absolutely the burning you know, bush. Right, right. And, and the thing that I think the movie does that's so brilliant is it's not just that it humanizes God, although it does in a way, and it's not just that we see the transformation of Jerry, this very good man, and what he has to go through. I think it humanizes Moses. Yes, yeah, because because he goes, oh, because now we kind of see. Well, what must it have been like for Moses to get contacted by the burning bush (laughs) and how did he feel and why me and all that stuff? And that's what he goes through. And there's a great moment where he's kind of saying, oh, so you're really God. And he opens up the door, expecting to see the wizard, you know, behind the curtain or something. There's nobody there. And finally says, I'm leaving. Where do you think you are?
2: What do you mean, where do I think I am? Right here's where I am. That's where. And where is here? 1600 North Hope Street, room uh, 2700.
3: Jerry. There's no 27th floor here.
1: And at this point, Jerry is like, I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> and Jerry goes down the elevator, goes out, talks to the security guard, says, excuse me, uh, how do I get to the 27th floor?
5: In this building? Yeah. I'm afraid you'd need a can opener. We only have 17 floors.
1: And he gets back in the elevator, and now we see there's only buttons to 17. He hits 17, goes up, doors open, 27th floor. Hits, <laughs> door, hits the fifth floor. Doors close doors lights go down to we see we're on the fifth floor doors open 27th floor (laughs) he hits lobby lights go down light bings on the lobby opens up 27th floor (laughs) and and just a little filmmaking thing and i don't think this is a brilliantly you know filmed movie each time you see 27th floor on the wall the camera is a little bit closer yeah Yeah. that's just a small touch Mm -hmm. and now he's fully freaked he walks down the hall realizing he's trapped goes in Have a nice ride. In the book, Gary gets the note. He says, yeah, I'll go to this meeting. So there's no thing with the pillow. There's no thing with the lettuce. This character is just a, he's a cynical writer who's never had any success. Right. And he goes to the meeting. He goes down the elevator once. The guy says, there's no 27th floor. He goes up and he goes, yeah, I guess this is God. Hmm. He doesn't go up and down three times. There's no scene in the car. He doesn't need to be convinced. He goes, okay. Don't smoke.
3: I don't. Good. Tobacco was one of my big mistakes. Mistakes? You try. Ostriches were a mistake. Silly looking things. Avocados made the pit too big. Like I say, you try.
0: This is brilliant. Creating a God that is admitting mistakes. What a novel concept. And it happens throughout the movie. And I think it's brilliant. I mean, just brilliant. Uh, Because everyone wants to revere God as omniscient, omnipotent, all this kind of stuff. But to humanize him, because he created us, why wouldn't he be capable of a mistake? I mean, the ostrich joke is funny as hell. But why wouldn't he be, you know, capable of mistakes and just own up to them? Because he's God.
3: Went to a lot of trouble to make it a comfortable interview. You misspelled it, you know. What? Interview. Give me a break. A few things I got right. I put summer before
0: winter, didn't I? I got some things right.
1: (laughs) So funny. And this is what we're going to hear throughout is the wit of Larry Gobart. masterfully said by George Burns, just the timing and his voice. And the thing thing that George Burns does, he doesn't put any spin on it. Nope. He's just speaking honestly. Yeah. This is why Cassie Mel Brooks is hilarious would be terrible Mm -hmm. because Mel Brooks would be trying to make it funny. Yeah. And it's like, no, he just says it.
2: How come you've got such a, I mean, just a voice. Like everybody's.
3: Empathy. I'm talking to you in a way you can accept. I'm relating. I don't like to brag, but if I appear to you just as God, how I really am, what I really am, your mind couldn't grasp it.
0: Which again is back to the burning bush. Yep. Also, one thing to think about, Steve, nineteen seventy seven, right? Superman is next year, nineteen seventy eight. Think about that. We're come recovering from Vietnam as a country, right? We want to believe in things again, but we go on to believe in them in a way that we can understand them. We can except um, how brilliant was it to have a God who is willing to admit mistakes, is willing to come on in a way that's very soft and understanding and, you know, playful. It's so smart because the God who's going to go and tell you what to do and how dare you question me and I'm omniscient, I'm, that's not the God you'd want at coming out of Vietnam because everyone was questioning people in authority all throughout the 70s. So the last thing you want is a God that's domineering and pushing and uh, making you like, you know, forcing you to be his uh, his voice on earth. So I love the way this is all
1: played out. Think that's such a good point. And I hadn't thought about it until until you just said it, but hmm. because 77 is Star Wars, yeah. Is that we might say that 77 is like the beginning of the end of the 70s. Yeah, great point. Because yeah, because this isn't like an 80s movie in a lot of ways. Yes, and, it is. And it's such a warm, fuzzy movie compared to you know, where we've just <laughs> yeah. been with yeah. Godfather and Network and all these like heavy yeah. films, and now we're sort of in the oh, we can actually feel kind of good. Yeah. And, and this is where Jerry says, what you said before is, I'm not religious. This is a mistake. I'm not one of your believers.
3: That's why I showed up. Too many non-believers. But I, but I read
2: in an article that religion is on the upswing.
3: Religion is easy. I'm talking about faith. You're going to help me change that. Yeah,
1: man. And then the next line, I don't belong to any church.
3: Neither do I.
1: <laughs> I'd say the biggest difference between the book and the movie yeah. is that in the book, God just wants Jerry to get, do publicity work, but that God in the book has nothing to say. Ah, this God has so much to say. Yeah, yeah, it's not just give me publicity, it's I have an important message. And Jerry's like, I gotta go, <laughs> you go back to work. <laughs> and God says, We'll talk on the way, <laughs> and he opens the door to go out into the hallway, and he's back in the lobby. Yeah, yeah, and he gets in his car. And as soon as he starts driving, we hear Jerry and God is talking over the radio. (laughs) He fiddles with the knobs and God says, you want me to talk louder? (laughs) Jerry's response is, Oh God, (laughs) I thought you didn't believe in me. Again, this is what's going to be so hard with this. I think the dialogue is so good that I just want to say all of it. I'm tired
3: of all the talk that I may be dead and that I never was at all, or that God was just particles of cosmos. Gas. I'm not gas. I found that very insulting.
1: And then, and then this is, what you know, I hadn't thought about it, but this is what we just talked about. He, Jerry says, I'm no Moses. And he says, what was Moses? You think Moses
3: was born on page one? Moses was just a messenger. My messenger.
1: And as he's talking to God, a motorcycle pulls up uh, next to him, and and, and he gets embarrassed because he's sitting there talking to God with the window open. And then, oh, God s- seamlessly goes into a disc jockey. And now an oldie but a goodie, Jerry Gray and String of Pearls. From KGOD. KGOD. K-G-O-D. <laughs> By the way, in the commentary track, Terry Garr says, oh, that I know that actor who plays the motorcycle guy. Yeah. And they say, oh, did you date him? Oh Jesus. It's just like that. It's just little things like that. I was like, Oh, "Oh." and this is, you know, they're a different generation. It's like, it's like Mad Men sort of comments.
3: I can't take this job. I I, I don't believe. I know. I know. But even non-believers want what they've got down here to work. Well, have you read the
2: papers lately? It it ain't working.
3: That's why I came to tell everybody I set the world up so it can work. Only it's up to you.
0: Like I said, so incredibly topical in 2020 this idea yeah. have you read the papers the division the anger the frustration that people people hate each other people don't believe in each other blah 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 and here comes god to say like no i'm my message is you guys can make it work you got to love more and hate less you got to stop fighting each other and get along and that's message could still be going it's still powerful today this idea i mean how many people do you think if god actually appeared or sent a messenger that really spoke to him and was out there saying hey we got to stop fighting each other we got to love more we got to understand each other better we got to create equality create supportive systems for everybody all of that do you think how many people would be like that's not
1: god that's not really god you're lying you know how many people would really believe of course of course they wouldn't believe what happens to all the peacemakers? That uh, they all get killed. Gandhi, Martin Luther King. There's a, I I, I brought this up at some podcast years ago. I don't remember which one, which is the Dostoevsky's in Brothers Karamazov. There's the section that's the Grand Inquisitor. And the Grand Inquisitor is it's the middle of the Inquisition. And there's the Grand Inquisitor who's, you know, torturing people and doing horrible stuff to defend the Catholic Church. And who shows up but Jesus. He's come back. He says, I've come back to spread the word and peace and all the things we're going to do. And he has a long conversation with the Grand Inquisitor and the Grand Inquisitor kills Jesus because he can't have that. Right. Right. Um, And and, and I'll tell you one other thing, uh, you know, is that I've said many times on this show that a lot of my moral core came from comic books Mm. and Star Trek. Yeah. I didn't realize how much came from this movie. This is so much my philosophy. So ironic, even though I'm an atheist. Yeah, so I'm saying it's ironic as hell, yeah. Well, here's an interesting thing. Karl Reiner describes himself as a Jewish atheist, huh. Huh. which okay. so am I. And, this, and here's the thing. If there was a God, if I thought there was a God, this is how he would have to be to me, yeah. which is this message of love and compassion and, and that you guys are on your own and you can make it work. Or, or if you don't, you don't make it work. It's up yeah. to you. Free will. Um, I love this. This is a funny joke. He's like, That's only
3: one message. Moses
1: had a handle ten.
3: But, but you gave him tablets. He had a bad memory.
1: He had a bad memory. <laughs> <laughs> That's Larry Gilbert, man. Oh, brilliant. And it's so funny because they're not big laughs. No, no They're
0: little laughs But there are a lot of them This is why I love Jewish humor, Steve it's, it's all in the margins, man It's all in the margins The The back and forth is there But the other subtle humor Working in the margins Is what makes it great You know? But except except where I, where is that Mel
1: Brooks is not in the margins.
0: Well, true, which is you why I'm mean? not always the biggest Mel Brooks fan.
1: Mel Brooks is big. Yeah, I mean, I'm a yeah. bigger Larry Gelbart fan than I am yeah. a Mel Brooks fan. And we're back with Terry Garr, who's he's obviously just told her everything. She's very uh, skeptical and she's kind of like, oh, maybe I'll make you some soup. <laughs> I'd love it if Terry Garr
0: was twin sisters with the other wife, with uh, Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> well, didn't she
1: leave Richard Dreyfus to go visit her sister? Yeah, oh my God! Oh my God! We've created a connection. Sorry to go, Scott Vance, but we've created a connection between Oh God and uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It is in the
0: same universe.
1: And oh. speaking of which, he, she's kind of going, hey, let's go to San Francisco and visit your sister. And he's like, you don't want me to visit my sister. You want me to visit my sister's husband who's a, who's a psychiatrist. <laughs>
0: Jerry, do
4: you remember when Artie Coogan set up that hidden microphone and he broadcast those filthy limericks through the television set?
2: It was not Artie. I know all of Artie's voices. And Artie is not capable of adding ten stories to a building that doesn't have them, and he cannot talk back and forth through a car radio that's been busted for two months. Now, whoever the hell this guy is, he's very smart.
0: And I'm going to listen to him.
1: And she says and you think he's god.
0: Well, he thinks he's god. <laughs> by the way John Denver very natural in this movie it's great I mean for a first movie as a as an actor like you you can find the holes right but I mean they haven't done the Muppet show have done his specials he certainly was no stranger to hitting his marks, saying his lines on time being in front of the camera so I'm sure that helped him as kind of a shorthand to have before he walked on the set to shoot this movie and he is damn earnest and damn natural throughout the movie you don't feel like this is a person who is putting on a character and i think that's really essential to you liking both him and george burns as their characters
1: he's like a perfect everyman. yes he absolutely he, he's so and it's the opposite because they're they're musicians and athletes and people who are become actors yes but they rarely have this just totally natural quality yeah. of he's just an ordinary guy i thought you believed in him and her line is so brilliant
4: i do i believe in
5: god i just don't believe that he exists
1: Wow. That line has so much meat to it. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Because I think that sentiment, of course I believe in God, I just don't believe he exists. I think that describes a lot of religious people, Mm -hmm. you know, or people that maybe aren't religious, but they go to church or they go to temple or they do the stuff. That they're supposed to do. Right. Yeah. I just don't believe he actually exists. (laughs) It's the next day. And now Jerry's in the shower. Jerry. Jerry. (laughs) Jerry goes, Oh, God. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to John Denver being in fantastic shape at this time. He, looked, he, was, he, he was, was, yeah. Look good. He looked good. And he's kind of trying to wipe the steam and peek out. Come take
3: a look. I can't. I'm naked. You think I don't know what you've got?
1: I love the wisdom. It's so amazing.
3: That was another little goof of mine. Shame. I don't know why I thought we needed shame.
1: Ah, oh, man. Mm. Strong stuff, man. He comes out, grabs his glasses, God throws him a towel, and there we see George Burns in the infinity mirror effect. <laughs> and the camera, like, goes down and then pans up to see this old George Burns with the hat yep. and the glasses. Not, uh, not what you expected, huh? This is, in my understanding, his, only his second feature film. Really? Because he did lots of shorts. He did tons of TV and tons okay. of radio. Yeah. But he had just done the Sunshine Boys and now this. And then going in Style, I guess, is after this one, isn't going it? Going in style's next,
0: which I love. Yeah. Yeah. I love Going in Style and Sunshine Boys. Yeah. And to- I love um, those
3: boys. You're feeling a little strange, yeah.
0: Huh? Very strange. Like you're gonna faint.
1: And by the way, I think it's really important that they made John Denver play this scene in a towel. Yeah. Yeah. It makes him much more vulnerable.
0: Yep.
3: You know what's good for that? Shaving. Shaving? Sometimes when you don't feel normal, doing a normal thing makes you feel normal.
1: So he starts shaving, and he, he says, okay, I think you probably got a lot of questions.
3: Yeah. Why me? Why not you? You mean there's no special? Life is a crapshoot. You thought that picture you because you're better than everybody? Uh, I'm not. You're better than some, but not as good as others.
1: I think God is lying.
0: Maybe. What does Spock say? When he says, when, they, when uh, Kim Cattrall accuses him
1: lying, he says, yeah, I exaggerated. Uh, I exaggerated. So, yeah, yeah maybe he's exaggerating. Yeah. Because I think Jerry Landers is a really good guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's very special. Mm-hmm. But I think God knows that if I said, you're really good, you're really special, that it actually would not work as well.
2: Why didn't you just appear over my bed? Uh,
1: Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> People are always, I just love all the lines. People are always praying to you. Do you listen? I can't help hearing.
3: I don't always listen. Then you don't care. Of course I care. I
1: care plenty. What can I do? What what can you do? You're God. And this is so important. What can you do? You're God. One of the essential questions of faith is why does a God who is all good let bad things happen to good people? And this movie is going to answer it. Only for the big picture. I don't get into details.
2: Didn't, w- whatever happens to us, happens.
1: I gave you a world and everything in it. It's all up to you. Yeah,
0: I, I mean, that's the thing. The default human reaction is always like, why would God let this happen? Why would, why are you letting it happen? Why are we letting it happen? Why are we as countries letting it happen? That's what it's about. Don't blame
1: God. Don't blame God. Blame what we've done, you know? But this is why this movie works for me as an atheist because this is the philosophy. Like, stop looking over there. Yeah. This is our world. We're here. And, and, and then this next line is so good, but we need help. That's why I gave you each other. Yeah.
0: Boom. Once again, Steve, this is what I mean. These scenes are just ripe with depth and complexity in the exchanges. They're ripe with levels Hear that this is working. It's not just simple funny exchange. He's legitimately saying something here uh, yeah. in, in the exchanges. Much this sweet comedy. There's yep. actually some real depth
1: to what they're talking about. No, this is a deep. This is a deep movie and a mm-hmm. deeply compassionate movie. Yes. And then Jerry says, "And, then, <laughs> and then, again, this is subtle writing, but it's really good." He says, "With your powers, you could solve so many problems." And he's cut himself shaving, and he's grabbing some toilet paper. And God says, "Don't wet it." And Jerry says, "Are you sure?" Am I sure? Did I do a good job on the Grand Canyon? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great comeback. So two things about this. First thing is that this is Carl Reiner's argument with Larry Gilbert. Larry Gilbert thinks you should wet the toilet paper. And Carl Reiner says, no, no, don't wet it. <laughs> That's the first thing about it. But the second thing about it is he just <laughs> said, God just said, I'm not going to solve your problems for you. And he says, you could solve so many problems He actually did. He just solved the problem. And what happened? He didn't even notice it. Didn't even recognize it. Didn't Didn't even think it.
3: Yeah. No miracles, huh? I knew it. Oh, maybe now and then just to keep my hand in. The last miracle I did was the 1969 Mets. Before that, I think you have to go back to the Red Sea. That's
1: brilliant. The 69 Um, Mets. And there's some, I'm not, can't go through all of it. It's all yeah. funny. But, but, uh, uh, like there's a joke about not creating the world in six days. I really, I thought about it for five days and created it in one, yeah. which, by the way, that is a writer joke because that's how writers work. I think about it for five <laughs> days and then under a lot of pressure, you get that script out.
2: But if you're so involved with us, yeah, how can you permit all the suffering that goes on in the world?
3: How can I permit the suffering? Yeah. I don't permit the suffering. You do. Free will. All the choices are yours. Choices? What choices? You can love each other, cherish and nurture each other, you can kill each other.
1: You know, what, uh, what can I say?
0: Yeah,
3: that's it. Yep. You're also turning the sky into mud. I look down, I don't believe the filth. Using rivers for toilets. Poisoning my fishes. You want a miracle? You make a fish from scratch. You can't. You think only God can make a tree? Try coming up with a macro. And when the last one is gone, that'll be that. 86 on the fishes. Goodbye, sky. So long, world. Over and out.
0: Right. The climate science right there. Yep. And it's truth. It's just
1: it's, it's dropping yep. God bombs of truth. <laughs> God bombs. Hashtag God bombs. Hashtag God bombs. God bombs. I love it.
2: I, I thought you said we were going to make it.
3: I said you've got to make it work.
2: You, you, you don't care.
3: I do care.
2: But then do
3: something about it. I did. I got you to carry the ball. I got no
1: ball? How can I <laughs> carry it? And the first thing he says is, you go off and tell the newspapers, tell the press. And he goes, Well, how am I going to convince them? He says, Here, just show them this and hands the business card that says, God. Simply. Yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, George Burns had didn't know anything about John Denver. Hadn't heard oh. of him, didn't know who he was. Wow. And so uh, Jerry Weintraub took him to a John Denver concert. George Byrne's description was there was this little guy all alone on stage with a guitar. 5,000 people are screaming. He had in this is what George Byrne said. I haven't seen anything like it since Jolson. Wow. Right. What a comparison. Right. Wow. And it's just, it's so, so from different eras, too. Like, he lived through Sinatra. He lived through, he lived through it all. He was yeah. born in 1896. Fair. <laughs> wow. Um, Interesting. Okay. And then we get to the newspaper office and another of these great small actors, which is George Firth, mm-hmm. who's a member of the Actor Studio. He's in everything oh, in this yeah. era, 70s, 80s, tons of stuff. What I didn't know, he wrote the book for two Sondheim musicals. Oh, wow. Merrily We Roll Along and Company. Huh. company's is one of my favorites. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, And he is so funny. And um, you know what? This, this whole thing is going long because I'm saying every single line in the movie. So I'm just going to say that his distrust of John Denver trying (laughs) to convince him that he saw God and him like sliding his letter opener away and all just his line deliveries is really, really funny. Yeah. But in the end, he doesn't get anywhere. And now we cut back to the store where Jerry gets page to go to aisle 10 or something. And we go to the aisle and there's God in a raincoat. Jerry, I didn't see one word in the newspapers. Well, of course not. Why, that
2: guy at the Times kept looking at me like I was some kind of a lunatic. And, and, and I felt like one.
1: And then some ladies show up and he tries to introduce God to these regular customers. Yeah. Turns around, there's a black woman there who he yells at. yeah wearing the raincoat the same raincoat god was wearing Mm -hmm. and the ladies go away and then this asian guy comes on comes up who works uh at the store Mm -hmm. and and god has now appeared in like the mirror that round mirror over the aisle and the asian guy can't see him and there's some jokes there and i looked at this guy and i'm like who is that guy Mm -hmm. his name he's uncredited in the movie his name is Mm -hmm. clyde kuatsu Mm -hmm. he is in he is one of those actors who was in mash over and over again yep and larry had hired him a whole bunch and brought him in for this he's a really good actor yep he's got one lines yeah yeah does a great job with that one line yeah it's so funny you know and, and there were certain shows he was on quincy he was on mash a ton certain shows that worked over and it's so sad these generations of actors who were really good yeah who couldn't get work now we get into the car and there's god with him in the car
2: i see you know a lot of things and, and and you've been making a lot of things happen but but none of it seems
3: godlike yeah godlike and what do you would be godlike uh change the weather ah special effects huh
1: <laughs> really <Brilliant. laughs> he offers up earthquakes and hurricanes he's like no no i don't want anyone hurt just like a small shower one small shower you got it and then it starts to rain <laughs> inside the car yep by the way this is why they picked an AMC pacer because it's got that high ceiling oh. so there was room to put the pipes in to make it rain inside really. the car really. and John Denver's reaction is so great yeah. it's like this is amazing
2: you didn't even bat an eye you, you didn't have to lift a finger
3: rain's not that hard
2: it's unbelievable
3: would you like it to rain a little hotter no no this is fine how about bigger drops no this is fine fine would you care for a little
1: snow <laughs> and then it takes him a long time to figure out it's not raining outside right um god says it's just like noah's ark same thing without the smell <laughs> and then he gets pulled over by a cop and has to explain the tons of water that is pouring out of the car you know who that cop is no is a cop from beverly hills cop uh taggart oh that's taggart yeah amazing cast yep Amazing guest. It's so because this is clear. This is where a casting director does. Is that mm-hmm. clearly Diane Crittenden saw a bunch of these people and went, "This one has talent," and of yeah. course they come and end up being you know much bigger stars.
3: Gonna try a little harder to get the word out. Well, I uh, uh, yeah yeah I, I'll, I'll give another shot.
1: That's my boy. <laughs> yes yes. <laughs> he goes back to the reporter, soaking wet, and pushes him much much harder, and we cut to. They're in bed and Terry Gar is reading an article about a whole bunch of religious kooks, one of whom is this Burbank superma- uh, <laughs> supermarket manager who had conversations with God. And Terry Garr is, whose name is Bobby, I think, is not happy about this at all.
2: But why is he talking to you? Well, why not me? Well, why not the Pope or Billy Graham or somebody way up there? Because he doesn't care about religion. Oh, God doesn't care about religion. Well, that's what he said. Well, he sure picked a funny business to go into then, didn't he?
0: (laughs) Real quick, uh, Bobby, For Bobby, and I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but For Bobby was a song off John Denver's first album. Hmm. It's For Baby, in quotes, For Bobby. So it was originally written for uh, a girl he dated for a year um early in his life um and then i think peter paul and mary covered it but Mm. they changed it because mary had just had a child so she wrote it in honor of her child Mm. so but yeah so it's interesting if if, i wonder if denver was like had a little say in naming her bobby as a kind of a shout
1: out i don't know i don't know and we kind of get at the end i believe that you believe and this is the difference between the terry gar in this movie and the terry gar in close encounters yeah she's willing to she loves him and and believes that he believes in this one thing that has happened is that the phone has started ringing and Terry in order to protect her husband has taken the phone off the hook and put it in a drawer yeah and in the midst Jerry kind of going man why is the phone ringing we see George Burns hand take the phone receiver out of the drawer and put it back on the hook it rings and it's for him and he's now giving a story to the news now he's on the front page and the reporters on the lawn from the 11 o'clock news right and they're hounding, and he's trying to take the kids to school. And this is where the pressure is starting. He's at work, and they say, You got to go see the big boss. And he goes to a meeting, and who is his boss? But William Daniels. Yeah, William Daniels, who we just talked about in 1776. Yeah. One of the great character actors. And this, frankly, is way more how I'm used to seeing him. <laughs> yes, kind of jerk. Rather than being the star <laughs> of a movie. Um, and again, a great, great actor. And I love that he kind of starts off with sort of, you know, how is, how is it going? How's the wife and kids? Right. And then we finally get to, what is this uh, seeing God crap all about? <laughs> and he does sort of a, I've heard it all in this chair. He gives a list of all the crazy things that happen when you manage grocery stores. And then we get to this thing. And I think this is so brilliant. He says, the founder and principal stockholder of Food World is a man devoted to prayer. And we see him standing next to the painting of the guy.
4: Lowell Wilson has personally gotten down on his knees with three U.S. presidents. He attended prayer breakfast and asked for God's blessing with the joint chiefs of staff right in the war room of the Pentagon. Now, I don't think that Mr. Wilson is going to take too kindly to the idea that one of his employees... Is claiming to have had a personal audience with the Almighty
1: Himself. <laughs> I love this so much because it's all about status. Yeah. It's like, well, he's an important person, just like the thing about the Pope and, and Billy Graham. Yeah. It's like, well, these are the important, he must be closer to God <laughs> because, because he's some rich yeah. guy. He's, yeah. And, well, and the hypocrisy of praying in the war room <laughs> of the Pentagon. You can't fight in here. It's the war room. It's the war room.
2: (laughs) I should think that he would be very happy to know that his prayers are heard.
4: Mr. Wilson has reached that point in his life where he can be sure his prayers are heard. He doesn't need any help from you.
1: And then he threatens his job. Yep. And Jerry's out of that meeting, walking through a park, and there is God picking up trash. Again, what's the message here? Yeah. Yeah, All these social...
0: all these uh, Not social. Obviously, all these messages about... Uh, taking care of the planet, taking care of ourselves all throughout this movie. It started, huh? You said you saw
3: me and the pressure started. Is is, is it going to get any worse? How should I know? What do you mean? How should you know? How could I know? Why, well, you know everything. I only know what is also. I'm very big on what was and what isn't yet. I haven't got a clue. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I got to stop reading all these lines because they're. But they're also good. Yeah, they are.
3: You know, I'm, I'm liable to lose my job. Lose a job, save a world.
1: Not a bad deal. What's so funny about this is it really fits in with the heroic. This this is the movie about the the guy who leads the strike. Yeah, this is the movie about the. People standing up against oppression in all sorts of different ways yeah, and the sacrifices, yeah. the family and that they have to make financially and being attacked and saying, no, this is the right thing to do. And so yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah. So Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It's, yeah. you know. Great point. Yeah. And yet it's done in this sort of small, fun, <laughs> cute way. Yeah. He tries to pick his kids up at school. His kids don't want anything to do with him. And he's back home and Terry Carr's like, well, of course they're embarrassed. I mean, their friends insulted them all day.
0: Jerry, what are you going to do about Mr. Summers?
2: Mr. Summers represents food world. God is with world world. It's a slightly bigger obligation.
1: And what's interesting is he is transformed at this point. Yep, he's fully on board now.
4: How far do you intend to take this? I mean, how long
2: is this going to go on? Until everyone gets the message. Until I can convince people of this miracle. I mean, that's what it is, you know. It's a miracle nothing less and i've got to reach the greatest number of people possible and tell them about it it's for you
0: producer of the dinah shore show
1: do you remember watching the dinah shore show oh of course yeah my mom yeah, loved too. that show Are you kidding yeah she's a great interviewer oh yeah but very she relaxed relaxed so, yeah and we cut to the dinah shore show and who is her guest <laughs> carl reiner and he is you oh. can tell he's done a lot of interviews oh yeah he's very funny The picture of the Dorian Gray moment is just, just, just absolutely (laughs) funny stuff, man. What's, what's so funny about that is I can totally see Dick Van Dyke in the Dick Van Dyke show doing the, and I, and what I can see is that Carl Reiner did the physical face thing for Dick Van Dyke. That's, that's what he's imitating when he did that stuff. Yep. And Jerry is in the in the green room and it's time for him to come on and i love the way they there's a great film of choice which is just as he goes on the stage we cut to his house him coming through the door and says am i on and we cut to him and his family watching the show yeah yeah here's why this is a brilliant screenwriting and directing choice what we would normally think is we'd see him do the show and then we would later see him, the family reacting to the show, and that takes twice as much time. Right. So this way, we get to see the show and the reaction at the same time, and it, and the scene becomes way more interesting because we get to see the family reacting. That also,
0: you throw in that exchange where the uh, production assistant tells him it'll be a week later when it screens. Oh, right. So it's right. been a week
1: since yeah. he's been on the show. Yeah, and there's some very cute jokes, including you know him saying that God is watching, and Dinosaur is like he's watching. Us oh, uh. and uh, and then they say, "Hey, there's an experiment we have, and do you want to participate? We've got a police department sketch artist, and he can draw from your description." And he goes, "Okay," and he goes and sits down. And there's a very slow description. And what's so great about it is as he describes God, all the reactions to well, he's like five seven, mm. wearing a baseball cap, <laughs> thin lips, he wears glasses. God wears glasses. And then the artist shows the drawing to John Denver, who goes, yeah, that's kind of how he looks. And they shows it to Dinah Shore.
3: America, here it is, as seen through the eyes of Jerry
2: Landers, God.
1: There's George Burns. Mm -hmm. He's out of mechanics. His car is broken down. He goes, well, how am I supposed to get home? Where to, mister? And there's God driving a cab. (laughs) And he gets in. God puts the meter down. I think that's very <laughs> important. And Jerry's first I hope you got a license. And God points to his license, which says, God. yeah." And the simple. license number? One.
2: <laughs> I got your national
3: exposure. I hope you're happy. I could be happier. Huh? How? For starters, you do a show like that, you don't let them put you on the last few minutes. That's for fellows who write diet
0: books. That's got to be a shut. Right. These are the people who've been on variety shows and they understand. And it's really important status wise where you are in the lineup of a show uh, and the time of the show. Right. Uh, That matters, too. And what was that drawing thing? Well, he was a police artist. Man draws crooks,
3: makes everybody look like a crook, made me look like a second story man.
0: I don't know what that means. A second story, man. You do Oh, the second story of the thing. Oh, gotcha. A gotcha,
1: second gotcha. story man is a crook that climbs up to second stories to break into buildings. Gotcha. Okay, okay.
3: I'm used to a little better treatment. That painting of me by Michelangelo, that's a picture. He did it laying flat on his back. <laughs> he did it on his back? A few million people saw you last night, right? A few million? Some of them will believe
1: you.
2: Some are going to want to punch me in the head, some will want to fire me. Some may decide I'm too crazy to live with.
1: Like he's worried about his marriage right now. Yeah, of course. Of course.
0: I'm sure when Moses showed up and was like, hey, a, t- a burning bush just spoke to me. I got to go lead the people. I'm sure his
1: wife was like, what? You know, I'm sure there was well, a little bit of transition if, time. If I remember, if I know the story correctly, Moses was out of Egypt. Yeah, right. Somewhere else. He had yes, got married and, yeah. and was settled. And now the he's poor. like, I'm going to go back yeah. to where all my people are enslaved and try to save them. That's not a good plan. Nope. And now we pull up to his house, and there is craziness on his lawn. We got <laughs> Hari Krishnas, we got religious zealots. We have people asking him to bless their babies, their pregnant yeah. belly. We have a woman who clearly wants to have sex with him.
4: <laughs> I went to empty the garbage, and two people blessed me, and then one of them blessed the garbage, and then he asked me if our children were conceived immaculately.
1: And he says, "Don't let it get to you." And this is perfect, Terry Gar. O- only Terry Gar can deliver a line like this.
4: Don't. <laughs> don't let it get to me jerry it's got to me
1: (laughs) and there's a bunch of telegrams and one of the telegrams is from a religious university that has asked him to appear before a theology group to verify the miracle and we continue to hear them talk as we cut to this scene of this religious group
2: this will give me credibility and god will get his word across
1: and now we're in this meeting (laughs) where the cast again is amazing yeah yeah um, so, so there's the rabbi is the first person to talk. This is a guy named Jeff Corey, who is was in everything, yeah. like every '60s, '70s TV show. This guy was in, including an episode of Star Trek: The Original Series. Ah, he is the the leader of the Cloud City and the Cloud Miners. Oh, and by the way, uh, Jeff Corey was also blacklisted. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay.
5: Mr. Landers, it is the consensus of this group that you are a person of. Little or no theological
0: knowledge,
1: and then we got paul sorvino. <laughs>
0: With kind of a terrible Southern accent, but you get the point that he's getting across, the the idea of televangelism. uh, And even in 77, Steve, people are taking shots at what these people are doing and uh, abusing older people to get their money from them, using God to line their pockets, to build their jets, to build their massive uh, buildings, uh, but really perverting the word of
1: God for their own personal financial benefit. And again, this is an amazing piece of casting because this is the Italian-American from New York, I think, opera singer. Yeah. And you say, we want you to play the Southern televangelist guy. Right. And apparently Paul went to Carl Reiner and said he had listened to a bunch of radio shows with, you know, religious guys like these. And he said, I've got four of them for you to choose from. And he did four different voices and four different accents. And this is the one that Carl Reiner picked. Wow. And, and his character is so ridiculous. <laughs> it
5: strikes me as one who has actually heard his voice that you have virtually no prerequisites to make direct contact with the Almighty whatsoever.
0: And then Jerry just simply asks him questions. You heard him? You spoke to him?
1: Yeah. What was he wearing? <laughs>
0: yeah. just simple questions.
5: He has made his word known to me.
0: What was he wearing?
1: He improvised a lot, by the way. A lot of this is actually Paul Servino's stuff. Really? Wow, that's fantastic. Including the big speech. That's all Paul Servino.
0: Wow. Yeah. Because he stands, Um, but he gets upset. He gets upset. You know, he gets mad. What did the Pharisees do? The Pharisees got mad when Jesus showed up, right? The Pharisees were upset because they're the ones cloaked in their money and their, you know, adulation. They're the ones that God should be talking to. Not a simple person like you. A non-believer. well,
1: remember, he's supposed to talk to the Pope or Billy Graham. Or we yeah. have his the big boss who's like, he's knelt with presidents of the United States. Yeah. That's who God, why would God appear to you? Right, exactly.
5: It would be blasphemy to suggest that we could describe the creator in human
1: terms. Why? Why, if he created us, why wouldn't he appear to us as one of us? And man, he loses it. Yeah, he does. Who are you to tell? <laughs> don't you... Su- and he brings it under control.
5: Don't you, young man... Try to teach this assemblage the role of the deity.
1: And sitting next to him at the table is Donald Pleasance. Yeah, <laughs> so random, Donald Pleasance so, in this small role. He literally has one line in the whole movie. Yeah, it has good billing, and the reason is, is there was a seven-page scene with him and Jerry that they cut. Oh, damn! And Carl said that it didn't work; it was not necessary; didn't advance the story. And that it is the one time that he did not personally call an actor to tell them they had been cut out of a movie because he was so embarrassed because he had asked Donald Pleasance yeah. to do this role and did. they never spoke again. Oh shit. <laughs> it's just and, and Carl and you know, Carl Reiner is one of those really nice directors that yeah, everybody yeah. loves. And it sounds like he just has felt terrible from this yeah. the whole time. Um, and I love, by the way, Paul Servino, who goes around to talk about the eminence of this panel that they have, have put together. And he says, Rabbi
5: Silverstone, my good and great friend, brother in the work of the Lord, with whom we have broke bread many times, is a pillar of the American Jew community.
0: <laughs> and all the little looks that go around. Yeah, because they know how much of a sham artist this guy is. Oh, but yeah. they have To put up with him.
1: Yeah. So the rabbi takes that beat before he turns to Jerry and speaks to him. I love it. And then he says, <laughs> "We have every religious persuasion, and I personally have been chosen to render the benediction at this year's Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. <laughs> that means I matter. Because <laughs> again, it's about for him. It's about status. Everything's about right. status. Right. Literally, it says in the Bible that it's not about status. But people <laughs> grab this thing and they assume it's about status. It's mind blowing. It. it I, I. I think the the you know. <sighs> We can point out hypocrisy anywhere in all sorts of uh, realms, but the hypocrisy uh, in religion is really stunning. It's astounding. Yes. I agree. Um, Which is why, of course, you know, the Terry Gar saying he picked the wrong business to get into and God (laughs) saying, I'm not in the religion business. Right.
5: Mr. Landers, we really find insufficient documentation to support your claim. Which puts the score at God seven,
1: you... And what we find out is that they've created a set of questions to ask God and they're ones that he couldn't possibly answer yeah. with his because uh, he doesn't have the knowledge and that they're going to lock him in a hotel room and he can't leave. He can't see his wife. He can't do anything until he answers these questions. That is the test. Yeah. And we're in the hotel room. He's looking at the paper. It's not in English. He calls out God. You know, yeah. Hoping the guy would show up He turns on the radio, no good There's a knock on the door He opens it, it is a room service guy Bringing him some room service um, <laughs> This guy has also been in tons of stuff Yeah Do you see what room he's in? No, one. 2700 <laughs> <laughs> Perfect And uh, he closes the door And immediately there's another knock And nice. there's George Burns They forgot the catch up
3: $11 for a steak? Who would have thought? With me, cows are an afterthought just to give new mothers a little rest, you
1: know. And he looks at the questions, he says, pretty cute. The questions are in ancient Aramaic. Which takes interesting resonance now, considering um, the Passion of the Christ that
0: Gibson directed Mm. is in all Aramaic. Yeah. So I I, I would have never registered that
1: until he did that movie, so interesting. It is is one of the three languages the Bible is written in.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Along with Hebrew and Greek. Not English. Not English, people. Or Latin, or Latin, and or, Klingon. So, yeah. or Klingon. Although I'm sure there's a Klingon translation. Of course, there is. <laughs> Let's see, what's the
3: true origin of the universe? What is the source of the planet Earth? It's 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 a history final, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and the TV is playing in the background, and God says, "So many repeats," and turns it off. Did you see what's playing on the TV? Jack Lelaine. No, it's the Isn't Dick it? Van Dyke. It's the Dick Van Dyke oh! show. <laughs> What a great end joke. Now we get this section of answering questions. And this is where, okay, so I probably said this on the Cinephiles before, but yeah. frequently with my students, is someone says, like, oh, I'm going to write an evil scientist, or I'm going to write a great political speech, or I'm going to write a religious figure, or I'm going to write a really wise thing. And then they usually frequently fall short. And what I tell them is, like, look, when you determine to do something like that, you actually have to be capable of delivering a great political speech. You have to come up with an interesting plan to take over the world. You have to come up with a way to rob the bank or to murder someone or whatever smart thing that you wanna do, well now you have to deliver on it. So this scene of the questions is in the book, but they never go into the answers. Uh, The answers are the hard part. So now we've said, we're gonna ask God deep, important, profound questions. Well, it's up to Larry Gelbart to give us deep, profound answers. Yeah. He so delivers. Yeah, I agree. Did man fall from grace in the Garden of Eden?
3: I made Adam 17. Eve was 15, 16 tops. I figured then 16, 17 was middle age, you know. Now I realize that they were kids, babies. Young people can't fall from my grace. They're my best things.
1: Put that down. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And again, this is my philosophy is that kid, kids are kids, yeah. you know? And we see, you know, they, they're not born hating. They're not born doing all these things. That's all stuff we do to them later on. Yeah, Kids are my best things. Yeah. By the way, they always shot, Carl always shot George Burns with two cameras because he was concerned, this is an old guy, that he wouldn't get his lines. Right. George Burns never missed a line. <laughs> I don't know, never. He was spot on. George okay. Burns was also a five martini a day guy smoked cigars all day and apparently frequently was up nights partying flirting with all the women <laughs> just came in every day and nailed it and part of this is like this guy is 70 plus years in the business some guys are just built to do it man yeah sinatra, the same way sinatra survived on four to five hours of sleep every night that's it yeah i mean he was you know had his own radio shows own tv mm-hmm. show george burns by the way have you ever watched the burns and allen tv show oh hell yeah man so good again. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what the thing that he invented, he and Jack Benny did similar kinds of things is that George Burns would come out and talk to the audience and then walk into scenes in his life and then describe what was happening. And so it's this total breaking the fourth wall yeah. thing in his TV shows, which later you see in like, this is Gary Shanling show yeah. and a bunch of other shows. Next question, which religion is closest to divine truth? He says the divine truth is not in a building or a book or a story. The heart is the temple in which all truth resides.
0: Boom. Oh, yeah.
3: Is Jesus Christ the son of God?
1: And there's pause. And he walks and he turns. And, it, and after the pause, in a real silence, he says, Jesus was my son. And there's a reaction in a moment of like, oh, wow, God just picked. He picked the religion. And then he says, Buddha was my son.
3: Muhammad, Moses, you, the man who said there was no room in the inn was my son. And so is the one who charges $11 for stake in this one. Let's, let's mush on.
1: <laughs> it's a brilliant, brilliant response, man. That is so much what I think about religion. Cause so I'm an atheist, mm. but I've thought a lot about God. And if there is a God, and if there is a God, it is, I am 100% convinced that it cannot be that one religion is the truth. Mm. It doesn't make sense to me. I agree. I agree. Uh, Because it doesn't make sense for these people to one part believe passionately in this thing and another group believe just as passionately in this thing and that one of them is 100% wrong and one of them is 100% right. Multiple people can make great
0: stakes. Multiple studios can make great movies, right? So multiple religions can still respect and revere God. And so it's just like it's all your
1: version of it and what works for you in your culture. Well, and I have a whole theory, which may, maybe we'll do a short on this sometime, mm. but I have a whole theory, you know, we t- talk a lot about, well, you can't disprove the existence of God, which is true. Mm. Um, I have a whole theory about how I can actually prove that what most of the people believe in is not true, and I mm. can prove it. Okay. And I also think what's interesting about this thing, and again, maybe this will be a short, is that it actually is really about how powerful and beneficial faith is, yeah. even as a person who has none is that and so maybe we'll talk about it another time well you don't have religious faith but you have faith you have faith in people you have faith in
0: yourself you have faith in things yeah so not religious faith yeah
1: again this is like a we we, we, literally we could talk an hour on this oh yeah and i don't want to i I don't want to do it now but 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 i think part of my philosophy came from that sentence (laughs) jesus was my son buddha was my son muhammad moses yeah Is that, of course, we're all, if there's a God, of course, we're all God's children. Mm -hmm. And if he's a loving God, of course, he loves all of us. Yeah. Then we ask, what is the meaning of man's existence? (laughs) First, he says, life is like a glass of tea. (laughs) No, I better not go for laughs. (laughs) Again, just to point it out again, George Burns is so straight, Mm -hmm. just says the truth. Yeah. He's not trying to put anything on any of this.
3: But seriously, put down that man. And women persons, their existence means exactly and precisely, not more, not one tiny bit less, just what they think it means and what I think doesn't count at all.
1: Amazing. An amazing
0: statement from God, Which is why I'm glad I didn't watch the commentary. Great writing, Larry Gelliber. Stop making creepy comments about Terry Gar. You just put this great moment in and then you're like, here you are doing
1: exactly yeah. It, it was more, I think it was slightly more Karl Reiner, but not much. Okay. All right. Yeah. Either um, way, if there's even one, it's too much. I mean, you know, uh, we've had this conversation a million times. Yeah. People, people are affected by the world they grew up in and that's where they were. So on some levels, Larry Gilbert, I mean, like if you look at early, actually we sh- I should say this. So early mash, yeah. which is all Larry Gilbert is so sexist. Mm-hmm. I mean, and what's so interesting towards to me is lips. yeah. Yeah. Hawkeye is a, to- not just towards hot lips. Every single nurse Hawkeye oh, is well, constantly sure. coming on to. It is constant sexual harassment at the workplace. And what's so interesting is Alan Alda and Hawkeye are liberal icons. Yeah. And, yeah. and true sex symbols of that era. And yet it is just terrible, the stuff that he does. Yeah, And, and, and what's interesting is like comparing it in a weird way to Mad Men is that uh, Don Draper, total sexist, does horrible things. And yet... That character is a sex symbol, and John Hamm certainly a sex symbol. Yeah. And what what's interesting about Mad Men is Mad Men is a thing made recently that is pointing out, look how horrible this is. Right. Mash is just doing it. I'm curious to see as we move forward if that
0: changes. You know, more women speak uh, are speaking out. We had K on, and I don't. I guess we haven't dropped the episode yet, but what no. in Major League, K says like when you're, it's weird, the world you grew up in, I grew up in as a woman and the things I was told or made to believe about women and how they had to be around men. Yep. Uh, And like, now I'm seeing that that was never the truth. And I hope this new generation of women growing up never have to, you know, look at it that way again. And so I'm curious to see what the new sex symbols with the new, uh, man is that is, that does become this, you know, kind of, uh, thing that people revere or love amongst women and men, um, and what that might look like, you know. I, I think John Hamm was
1: the last of. I do. We'll, we'll see. We, yeah, we we'll we've see. certainly seen so much stuff. I, I'm sure you you read lots of the same stuff that I do mm. of people telling their stories of this happened to me or writers yeah. room or this happened yeah. to me in this situation, and there were all these people sitting around who didn't say anything. Yeah. yeah. And that'll be the interesting one. Is it instant sort of hey that's not cool you can't say that. You know, wow. or do yeah. we let it slide? Because I listened to Terry Garr's voice and it, yeah. they were being horrible. No, but they but... were being like, uh, they were objectifying her throughout this thing. Well, it, it must be terrible too, because you're like, I want to be
0: taken as seriously as you take yourselves, as you take each other. And you, you keep denigrating me. I don't talk about your dicks. I don't talk about your asses. I don't talk about your balls. I don't talk about anything physical about you guys. You know, do well, me it, the, give me the same respect. I created a character. I I spoke your words truthfully through a whole film to help the film do well and be accepted as a yeah. good film. So do me the favor of respecting me as an artist and not ogling me as a woman.
1: Well, and, and what I could hear in her voice, and of course, I'm just making this up. I don't know right. that this is what she was feeling. But what I felt like I was hearing was, I'm still dealing with this. Yes, of course. You know. I and mean, this is a woman who has MS as if she needs to deal with this uh, fucking shit more, you know, it's, well, a- this was probably recorded 20 years ago. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Yeah. Right. Um, Still. Uh, now we get our last question. Why did you appear at this time? And God's like, well, you already said it. He's like, well, maybe you want to, he- they want to hear it in your words.
3: I want to say to everyone that everything around them, that they can see and smell and feel in here. They should delight in all this. That what is here are some of my very best ideas. And I want everyone to try very hard to make sure it doesn't all go down the drain.
1: Yeah, the the words stand for themselves for me.
2: Uh, Can you remember exactly what you said? It was perfect.
1: (laughs) God just gives him a look and starts writing in John Denver's handwriting. Yep. And, okay, we got it all. It's like, should I call the panel? It's like, never mind the panel. Deliver the uh, papers to Reverend Williams, which is Paul Servino.
3: Every time I turn around, he's spreading the word. My word. Only my words you ran out of years ago. I'll tell you the truth. The reason I put everybody here naked, I wasn't trying to be cute. I just didn't want to create clothes. With clothes is right away pockets. With pockets, you got to put something in them, right?
1: Materialism. Yeah, just a straight dig at materialism, and particularly materialism within religion. And he says,
3: You take these answers and give them to the Reverend Big Mouth, and you say that God says he's a phony. And also tell him if he wants to get rich, fine. Tell him to sell earth shoes. But personally tell him, I'd like him to shut up.
1: I like what he said, there. but personally, tell him I'd like him to shut up. <laughs> straight, straight up, we're at the Shrine Auditorium. The Shrine holds like four or five thousand people. They had two hundred extras. <laughs> this is a two point two million dollar movie. It's not, they don't have a bunch money, um, and they just move the extras around. You know, for every shot, as we heard, like when we did Hoosiers, when we did all sorts of yeah, yeah. movies. If that's rocky. what you got to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, his speech is mostly, as I said, created by him. It's really funny. It I is. will play a little bit of it.
5: love let's talk about love what is it you can love your brother can't you you can love your wife or your husband you can love your new dress you can love my new car
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, and he gets the crowd going and then he gets to this word he says
5: what i am talking about is the kind of love that calls for a sacrifice Are you willing to make a sacrifice to show God how much you love him?
1: Yes! And then the collection plates go around. And the money starts pouring out. And this is, it's it's still going on. I do not understand it. Like the idea that you give a ton of money to prove that you love God to a person who's going to fly around in a plane in a private jet and drive a Rolls Royce. That is crazy to me. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're a capitalist society. We equate worth with materialism. Uh, that's the shame. Yeah. I get. I mean, I, we do. No, no, you're right. No, yeah. you, you're right. I just don't get the connection between yeah. I'm going to give my money to this other person not to do good, although maybe they do some, I'm sure some of them do some good at some point, yeah. Yeah. but so they can get rich. Right. You know, right. and that, and that, and, but they make it sound like you're giving money to God. God right. doesn't need the money. Right. Yeah. Um, and he asks people to come up and we see people coming up with crutches and people coming up to shake his hand. And that's when Jerry comes up, who's watched this whole thing in distress. Yeah. And he comes up and, and uh, Paul Sorvino sees him. It says one moment.
5: Would you repeat what you just said to me? God,
2: <clears throat> God sent me to you. God sent him to me,
1: and he hands over the answers. Which, by the way, we never see those answers again. I really want all that panel to read the answers, you know, that he gave to all these questions in Aramaic, but that never comes up again, which is kind of a bummer.
2: Yes, he's he's unhappy that that you're that you're getting rich this way, and 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 that he'd like you to stop pretending that, that that you're spreading his
1: word. And Jerry tries to take the mic. And as soon as Reverend Williams realizes what he's doing, he's trying to get rid of him and get the mic back. And you see the panic in his face. Yeah. And I think this struggle is really, really well done. Yeah, I agree. He's like frantic. He becomes yeah. frantic.
5: Well, that's what he said. You're a friend. And this poor boy is ill. Get him out of here.
1: And they struggle. It's a scary, scary moment. And then we cut to court. Slander, Your Honor. Slander, surely cruel and foul. And again, this is sort of like Mr. Smith. This is like Miracle on 34th Street. We're going to meet f- John Doe, too. Remember meet John, John Doe tries to expose the corruption and they drag yeah. him away and turn him into a crazy person. And we see the judge, who is Bernard Hughes. Again, a fantastic actor. You've seen in all sorts of stuff. And who is the lawyer but Ralph Bellamy? That's right. Another great actor. <laughs> it's just like the cast is ridiculous how yeah. good it is. Oh, and by the way, Ralph Bellamy is also a president of the Screen Actors Guild. Ah, so good. he and William Daniels, two, and again, we have a movie with two presidents of the Screen mm-hmm. Actors Guild. Um, and, and Ralph said he didn't want to do it. He was retired. He didn't want to act. He didn't want to do the job. And what? Carl Reiner said, yeah, even though five years later, it's trading yeah, places. It's trading places. And Carl Reiner goes to him. You want to know what the pitch was? He what? says, He says, don't think of it as a job. Think of it as a time where you can sit all afternoon in a trailer with George Burns. Oh, and Bellamy well, goes, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, he's been around doing it the same time George Burns was. Yeah. yeah. Well, and who wouldn't want to sit in a trailer with drinking martinis and smoking cigars with George Burns? Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Not only is Willie Williams organization, nonprofit, he personally pays over six figures in income tax every year.
1: <laughs> so that sentence is amazing because he's like going, look, he's, he works for charities a nonprofit. And he, by the way, pays over $100,000 in income tax every year, which means that he's making some ungodly amount of money. Right. And, and it just a little small touches. What does Paul Servino do at that moment? He covers up all his gold rings yep. and hides them. That's the guilt, the shame. Um, this is why he created shame. Yeah, this is, yes, this is why he created shame.
3: A man whom the President of the United States once called
1: God's own quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> And now it's Jerry's turn. And the judge says, look, you really should get a lawyer. You shouldn't defend yourself. It's not good. You, you don't want to be alone for this. And Jerry says, I won't be alone. And Terry's, Terry Garr's there and her looks of, oh my God. I mean, like, it's so interesting the close encounters contrast because yeah. she doesn't believe this. No, no, no. But she's standing by him in the courtroom. Yep. She knows this is going to be terrible and she, but she's going to be here. She loves him. She, because she loves him.
2: I just can't believe that god would set me up to get me into all of this trouble i i I have to believe that he had a reason and and i have to believe that he'll bail me out
1: you know what that is faith faith Faith. yep that's faith yep (laughs) we see donald pleasance at the trial (laughs) (laughs) and the
3: absolute being the all-powerful all-knowing all-merciful infinite spirit the supreme soul, the king of kings and lord of lords,
4: the infinite, everlasting, eternal being, last came to you. How? As a busboy.
1: <laughs> and the whole courtroom laughs, including the actor, the, the extra sitting behind Terry Garr, which is Carl Gottlieb. Yeah, the writer for, yeah, right. for Jaws, who yep. also appears in The Jerk in two years because he's a buddy of Carl Reiner. Do you remember who he plays in The Jerk?
0: No, I've only seen The Jerk once. Not one of my favorites. So what um, is he
1: playing? Iron Balls McGinty. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, so he's just there in the background as an extra. <laughs> Everyone laughs. Ralph Bellamy rests his case. And this is the last one I'm going to say. What they said as uh, in the commentary track here is that, see how we framed that shot so we could see your legs? Yeah. Yeah. That's the last one I'm going to say. Okay. Just, it just made me grumpy. And I yeah. love Carl Reiner. Of and of course, course Larry of course, Gelbart. Course. They're both great, but it just made me grumpy.
2: Uh, I would like to call one witness and, and one witness only. Your Honor, I would like to call to the stand the Lord God.
1: And there's reaction. Ralph Bellamy objects and the judge is upset. And he's and Jerry says, when I asked God to take the stand, wasn't there a trace of expectation in your mind? Wasn't there hesitation in this room?
2: It was the possibility that, that God does exist. In, in in that moment, Your Honor, when no one in this room knew, knew what was going to happen next, in that flash of an instant lies the benefit of the doubt that that you must give me to know that my, my story is true and that I spoke exactly as God asked me.
0: I don't think
1: that's a terribly good argument. <laughs> I I think it's, uh, I mean, it's the only argument he has. Yeah. It's the only but argument what I, it has. What I do think is, man, John Denver's a really good actor. Yep. Because he he doesn't make a great speech. Mm -hmm. He's still the assistant manager who's who's, who's a really good man, and he's doing the best he can, and he does a really passionate speech. It's an earnest speech. Earnest. That's the word. It's earnest.
4: Mr. Landers, I cautioned you earlier that proper legal representation would be helpful. I must now warn you that in addition to the plaintiff's charges, I'm seriously considering (laughs) citing you with contempt. Now, you're getting deeper and deeper into trouble with this court, Mr. Landers.
3: Excuse me, Your Honor.
1: And there is God. Yep. He says, I'll take it from here. (laughs) i love that i'll take it from here i love (laughs) it and and the judge says may i ask who you are and he says you better swear me in. you'll never believe it (laughs) walks up we hear his squeaky shoes as he walks we see the court reporter put a tape recorder up and hit record on it i don't know why he wasn't recording this before (laughs) and the, the the clerk says you sort of tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help you god and god says so help me me
4: so help you you
1: if
3: it pleases the court And even if it doesn't please the court, I'm God, your
5: honor.
1: (laughs) Ralph Bellamy stands up. I'd like permission to question this witness. Sit down, Sonny. I've answered enough questions. Why is it so hard for you to believe? Is my physical existence any more
3: improbable than your own?
0: It's a great line. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, these these
1: are great lines about God. Just great. And then he goes into a thing, which is maybe one of the few things I don't like, which is he mm. talks about the film The Exorcist, and that and, oh. and the reason and I, it's good, but it's it's like it sets the movie so much in a time. It's like a pop culture reference. And what, yeah. what his point is is you guys could all believe that a devil would take over a little girl, mm. but you have trouble believing me. All she had to do was was wet the rug and throw up some pea soup, and everyone believed.
3: I work in my own way. I don't I don't get inside little children. They got enough to do just being themselves.
1: Him saying they have enough to do just being themselves is a little droplet of wisdom. Yep. We're not putting a lot on it. It's a little thing where you can go back and think about it. And this is why I'm not saying the movie, Oh God is a religious text, but I am saying that there's maybe 50 lines in here that are worth spending some time contemplating. Absolutely.
3: I'm not sure how this whole miracle business started. The idea that anything connected with me has to be a miracle. Personally, I'm sorry that it did. Makes the distance between us even greater.
1: I think that's a really interesting line too. Yeah. You know, again, I'm an atheist, but this God is very human. Yeah. And he humanizes Moses and humanizes Jesus and Buddha and then he humanizes himself because he makes mistakes, because he doesn't see the future, because he can't control everything. And that's part of his wisdom. I find this such an interesting strain. I hope I can speak on it correctly. And and please
0: feel free to correct me, uh, Steve. Uh, But like there are two strains, two powerful strains in the Jewish community when it comes to God, right? There's the orthodox, fully reverential uh, uh, approach to God. That is, you know, everything he's done, everything he says, everything is is like scripture. It's the word. It's powerful. But then there's a lot of Jewish humor when it deals with God is about breaking down that kind of approach to God that oh that um, idea that he is untouchable you can't question his word you can't and a majority of the time look at Albert Brooks defending your life it's it's that's that's purgatory but it's played for laughs uh, oh God it's sweet it's but there are laugh moments throughout with what stuff he's saying this idea that this is the kind of God that is more the more the more God that seems realistic at least to me it seems more real more realistic more more. Um, truthful right the god that's like untouchable all-knowing omniscient and you can't possibly question him that's not a god that created us i don't think so i think the god that created us understands us can speak to us has probably made mistakes because he made us in his image and we've been able to create incredible things in this world but we've also made mistakes we've also created weapons that can destroy ourselves or destroy each other so if we're in his image then we have to reflect the creator. So the creator is capable of mistakes. He's capable of making jokes. He's capable of admitting it, those things. He's capable of great things and possibly destructive things. So all
1: around, you know, um, that's, that feels connected to me. Uh, first of all, I'm not correcting you at all. I actually think you said that really well hmm. about the orthodoxy versus more secular reformed or conservative Jews is an, and I think, and I think in some ways this fits with a lot of religions of, of, is it that everything in this book is perfect and correct, and therefore we must follow all of it? Yeah. Of course, nobody does. Nobody follows all of it. Nobody's stoning people for wearing, you know, two kinds of fabrics (laughs) or something like that. But, like, the orthodoxy is like the whole point is God has asked us to follow these rules, keeping kosher being one of the most obvious, right. and that we must follow them exactly because they are rules, and God is infallible, and therefore his rules are infallible, therefore we must do them, and the reason to do them is because God asked us to. We don't need any other reason. Right. And then there's other people who are more questioning of that, and, yeah. and I think this obviously is out of this tradition of secular and reformed Jews yeah. who are very, very big questioners.
3: But if a miracle helps you believe that I am who I say I am, I'll give you one. Let me see.
1: What's my most impressive miracle? And I don't know if you noticed, you know what John Denver does at this moment? No. He looks up because he thinks it's about to rain inside. (laughs) Oh, interesting, okay. And instead, God says, Pick a card. Uh, uh, What? There are no cards. Pick a card, any card. And then he does the gesture of spreading out the cards. Pick a card, any card.
4: Well, there are no cards there. Look again.
1: Cards appear. Obviously, simple camera, in the camera trick. Oh, no.
4: uh, There's nothing miraculous about good sleight of hand. Have you ever seen this one? And the cards disappear. Uh, Well, yes, yes. I've, I've seen them make cards appear and disappear. As a matter of fact, I once saw a magician make an elephant disappear.
1: Good. Now I'll show you one that you haven't seen. And he stands up and we hear his shoes squeaking. He says, got to get these shoes fixed. Yeah. And we hear a squeak, squeak, squeak. And God says, watch, watch this, your driver. honor. And then he disappears, just gone. And we hear the shoes walking. We see the door, like batwing door open and close. Then we yep. see the big door open and close and everyone turns. And watch Terry Gar in this scene, by the way, because what you see through the course of this is her loving and supporting her husband, but not believing and you see the transformation of yeah i believe yeah and we hear god at the door
3: i know how hard it is in these times to have faith but maybe if you could have the faith to start with maybe the times would change you could change them think about it try and try not to hurt each other there's been enough of that and it really gets in the way i'm a god of very few words and jerry's already given you mine. however hopeless helpless Mixed up and scary it all gets. It can work. If you find it hard to believe in me, maybe it would help you to know that I believe in you.
0: That is the line of the film for me. I actually stopped the film and uh, I kind of broke down a little bit and cried a little bit hearing that. Because things have been so crazy in this world, man. Things have been so crazy and so far, and I've contributed to it online. Some of my uh, comments or tweets or some of the vitriol I've spit spit out at people that I've found to be intolerant or mean or cruel, um, and then you hear that, and because it's it taps into the to why I believe in God, why I believe in uh, him, not religion, but faith in him, you know, and and it, um, and what he says there is just was so powerful, you know. If you can't believe in me, maybe it'll help you to know that I believe in you, and that's like fuck, man. So, even now talking about it, I get emotional because it's just like we do such a terrible job of tearing ourselves to pieces privately in our own minds, putting ourselves down, hurting ourselves, uh, devaluing ourselves, you know, um, questioning ourselves and questioning everything we do and um, questioning our worth. And if we believed in ourselves the way we envision or believe or hope that God believes in us. Think how much better all our lives would be. Think how much happier we'd be. Think how much of the mental health stuff we'd be able to avoid, you know, as people, as human beings. So it's just that, just when he, when it struck me this time, just so powerfully, Steve, just, I just, like I said, I had to pause and just to cry a little bit because it was just like, man, it's, I, I, you know, and I'm guilty of it too. I wish I believed in myself the way I would imagine God would believe in me, the way I imagined other people uh, you hope believe in you, you know, and or claim to believe in. Or say they believe it, you know, you just so it's just it's such that to me is the line that that those two lines are the lines of the movie for me in, in such
1: powerful ways. I, I couldn't agree more and, and and I want to say two two things about it. Because what's funny is there's sort of different shades within that line that I th- think affect you mm. versus affect me. Um, the for me it's it's that this is so much about kindness, you know. Mm. So much of his message is just just be kind to each other. gentle with each other cherish each other work together and and i think if there's anything that we've lost in the last many years kindness is a lot tougher to find yeah and it's particular kindness towards the people you know the jesus turn the other cheek you know love thy neighbor like all those things those are really hard to do right now you know we're not good at cheek turning right now and and that message of kindness and faith and faith in each other is such a big yeah. thing. The other this is a weird thing to say. I started way at the beginning talking about Larry Gilbart and wit is dry. Only a very witty writer could write this. Mm. Is that what one of the things that wit does, yes, it plays with language. Yes, it's subtle and funny. But it also, and, and this is what happens throughout this movie, although it is a very funny movie. It's funny about something. Mm -hmm. It's about a philosophy. It's taking the way we look at the world and turning it. And wit frequently turns something. It makes you look at it from the opposite direction. And this line, if you find it hard to believe in me, maybe it would help to know that I believe in you. That's a turn, you know, linguistically. And so, uh, you know, the the message is profound. But then I also love the writing. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. just the alliteration of however hopeless, helpless, mixed up, and scary it all gets. That's just good writing. And 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 it's the final message, Steve. It's yeah. the final. Okay, it's the final emphasis on
0: the message that the that Gelbart has been saying throughout the movie and the character of God. This mm-hmm. idea of believing in each other more than you believe in Him. Right. It, this isn't a film about believing in God. This is a film about believing in each other because He created you and put, gave you all the tools to create a good world, a loving world, a healthy world, a happy world. It's up to you to do it. And you have to believe in each other and have faith in each other
1: to do it, not him or not it. And I think we're about to enter into the world of faith now because the court reporter has run up and is saying something to the judge. And we cut to the (laughs) the judge's quarters and we are listening to the audio tape the court reporter did. And we hear everyone's voice except God's. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help you, you. Where's (laughs) <laughs> yeah. which uh he had said at the very beginning of the movie you can't record my voice someone must have erased it nobody erases tapes anymore yeah, which of course is <laughs> watergate joke
2: don't you see he, he, he wants us all to decide for ourselves whether or not we saw him and, and heard him it's what he always said everything is up to us
1: And again, I will say this is faith. Yeah. Because faith, I don't have to have faith that my microphone is working right now because I can see the little thing moving and I have experience that has told me that when I see these things that it's working. Having faith, faith is something you have to have when you don't have evidence. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not faith. It's just knowing. Right. Um, And that's what this moment is. We have now moved into faith.
5: No, no. There is no proof whatsoever that God was in that courtroom today.
1: I love Ralph Bellamy. Really good acting says. Oh, not whatsoever. <laughs> Cause he is wavering. Yeah. Um. And then this is so great. Jerry says, we saw him. We heard him. And Terry Gar says, we did. She's on board now. And it's subtle. Yeah. And it, and he says he made himself and the cards disappear. And Terry repeats. We saw. And now the judge renders his decision, which is kind of two part. Part one is that on the basis of what we Experienced, I totally understand why Jerry thought he met with God, and so the charge of slander is dismissed.
4: I must also rule that on the basis of the evidence, or, uh, or rather the, um, uh, the lack of it, that as much as we all may think that what we saw here today was real, uh, God did not, in fact, appear here before us may, of course, appeal to a higher court.
2: (laughs) We heard from the highest court.
1: It's so funny, because this is so miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, I thought that too, yeah. Except we don't prove the existence of Santa Claus. Right, right. You know, cut to the store, and Jerry's been fired. Uh, He heads out, he's driving, and as he drives along, listening to that 70s music, we hear a phone ringing. It's the phone booth. The phone is ringing. And he drives by and he keeps hearing the ring. He gets out, gets in the phone booth, answers it. hears God's voice and says, where are you? God says, turn around. And there he is wearing his safari clothes because he wants to spend some time with animals.
3: We failed, didn't we?
1: What are you talking? We
3: did terrific. I gave a message of encouragement. You passed it along. Now we'll see.
2: You think anybody got the message?
1: And God's metaphor is Johnny Appleseed.
3: You drop a few seeds and you move on. The seeds are good, they'll take root. I gave you great seeds, the best.
2: Everybody thinks I'm a nut.
3: Galileo, Pasteur, Einstein, Columbus, you're in good company.
1: What's interesting about that list, none of those are religious figures. Yeah, true, very true. (laughs) Very true. Galileo in particular was persecuted by the Catholic church. Yeah, yeah. Um, A little bit of a shot at the Catholicism.
3: Better be going. Uh, aren't you coming back
1: no ever whenever comes we'll see even this is sort of gentle yeah and what's so again tracking jerry's character he's not a religious person when we meet him he has no faith he doesn't believe in god no and right. now he says
2: now and then couldn't we just talk
3: i'll tell you what you talk i'll listen
0: i'll listen oh as a heartbreaking exchange 'Cause it's like, you know, finally Jerry has fully come over to believe in him and then
1: God has to go. Ah, it's heartbreaking. Well, what and what is you talk all listen? It's bittersweet, I guess. Oh, yeah. totally. What is you talk all listen? Prayer. Right. right. Prayer. Exactly. He's saying yeah. you'll you'll pray and I'll hear it. And he touches Jerry's face, which is really beautiful. He it's so sweet. Turns and walks away, and the music builds, back to Jerry, back to the Park, God's gone. Uh, by the way, George Burns is hiding behind one of those trees.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Screw you for ruining that for me. <laughs>
1: so here's the ultimate review on this movie. We had we watched it with Jax. Oh, and he has right. been very much like, I only want to watch animated things. I only want kids It's a gold, grown up thing. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch it. And I said, but let's, let's try it. And frequently I break the movie into sections cause I'm typing so much, that it's, right. it's not that fun for me. We watched 35 minutes of it and I paused it cause my fingers were tired and I had to go, you know, shake my hands out a little bit. And Jax went, don't pause it. <laughs> we watched the whole movie. He was right. in silence the whole time, just completely in it. And I turned to him in the end and I said, What would you think? Did you like it? And he went, and I went, really? (laughs) Because it seemed like you were really interested. And like five minutes later, he came to me and he said, you know what, dad? I loved it. Oh, yeah. He loved that movie. The reception, religious people, atheist people, agnostics, loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Catholic people loved it. Jewish people loved it. You know, it's funny. We did a comedy about religion, Life of Brian, which religious people hated. And I understand yeah. why. And this one, which says, I'm not any one of these religions, l- religious people loved it. Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert put it in his top 10 movies of the year, which 1977 is Star Wars and Annie Hall, all sorts of great movies that year. Uh, it earned $51 million, um, which is, you know, from a $2.2 million budget pretty good uh gelbart was nominated for best adapted screenplay didn't win i found one other thing i wanted to say and then we can get into final thoughts which is uh is carl reiner just passed away and steve martin wrote a wonderful article in the new york times about his relationship with carl reiner and basically said that it's not that he learned comedy from carl reiner because he understood comedy but what he really learned was how to be a person yeah is that he was such a i mean he you know if you ever read his book born standing up have you read that one no, I haven't yet. Oh, you'd love it. It's great. It's okay. very short. And and the world of him becoming successful and becoming like a rock star level success success where he's, you know, filling up stadiums and then mm-hmm. completely quitting stand-up. It's fascinating. And he was a wreck. He had no life. He had no because right. he just was on the road. He he didn't have any relationships. He was just really messed up. And when he starts yeah. working on the jerk, he learned how to exist in the world. He he drove to set every day. Um, with Carl, and Carl would pick him up in his Honda Civic because there was a gas shortage and he wanted to save gas. And so Steve Martin bought a Honda Civic because that's what Carl Reiner did. Like, uh, Carl Reiner had the last place in Los Angeles that delivered real seltzer water to him, and (laughs) so Steve Martin got that. And he just, like, and, and he said that Carl Reiner was just so... Kind and decent, and and yeah. he, that's how he learned how to direct. So when Steve Martin became his own director, he was imitating Carl Reiner. Oh, wow! And this this is the last thing he said in his this article. And I'll just read it to you. So, Carl, I raise my glass of seltzer and flip through the rolodex of words that apply to you: talent, energy, wisdom, humor. But for me, one of your qualities stands out that is not often cited in the legacies of the famous: decency. All along, it was your decency that infused and invigorated your incredible gifts. Damn. That's great. Yeah. Well, and you think we talked about his son, Rob Reiner, is one of mm-hmm. those directors that people just love to work with, who was kind and yep. gentle. And this, so we have Carl, and, and yeah, we, I made some comments about, you know, what they said about Terry Garr, and I'm not ignoring that stuff. But Carl mm-hmm. Reiner is one of these people that says you don't have to be a Kubrick or, or Ridley Scott or James Cameron who terrorized the people that work for you. You can have a really lovely time and make a really lovely movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your final thoughts? Uh, this is a film, as I said at the beginning,
0: it's act- it's surprisingly topical. Universal conversations, universal questions, universal themes, universal explorations of our meaning, our exi- the meaning of our existence, our... Worth in the world, uh, why we were created. All of it is here for you to explore if you want to explore it. And it's delivered in such fantastic detail and um, very memorable exchanges between George Burns and John Denver that will, if your heart is open to it, if your soul is open to it, if your mind is open to it, that will leave a mark on you. And uh, we'll have you thinking about things. and might change you if you've never seen this movie. If some of you are listening to us and you've never seen the movie, you're going to go back and watch it. Don't be surprised that after you're done with this movie, you have a bit of a very strong reaction to it emotionally or a strong reaction to it uh, intellectually. uh, And maybe, uh, you know, kind of take a a little bit of stock about what's going on in the world and what's going on with you. Um, I would not be surprised. And it's, you know, and aside from all of that, fantastic direction great actors all throughout um there's not an in unbelievable moment in the movie not one uh, second that you question what's happening everyone delivers what they're supposed to deliver scene to scene and it works so well um and at the end you might be you might just have a little smile on your face as well when the movie is over and who doesn't want that uh from a film like this
1: that's my final thoughts I feel like in a weird way, I've kind of given my final thoughts. You know, this movie has been so, it's just so influential on me. And I really didn't realize it. And you don't, you know, you don't think of this kind of small comedy in the mid seventies as like a influential philosophical movie, but it is. And basically just about everything that God says in this movie is what I believe, even though I'm an atheist, (laughs) study it, listen to the words, think about it. And most importantly, man, be kind. Yeah. Cherish each other. It's our world. We can make it work if we work together. And if we don't, it's gonna go down the drain, just like God said. So that's what we think of Oh God. We'd love to hear what you think. Visit us on our Facebook page, although I'm still banned from Facebook and have been for two months. <laughs> Maybe someday they'll let me back in, but uh, do a search for The Cinephiles. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor FM. Please leave reviews on iTunes. They're very, very important to us. We love reading your comments and interacting with you on YouTube. If you haven't seen Oh God, and you can buy it or stream it along with every other movie we've ever uh, reviewed on cinephiles.net you could support the show on patreon.com slash the where we have a whole bunch of new stuff we're doing including special questions that you can ask combined episodes of the show so you don't have to sit through those two-part breaks um all sorts of stuff and cinephile shorts which we now release every week so that's patreon.com slash the you can follow me on twitter at sr morris at instagram at sr morris one the cinephiles you can follow on twitter at cine underscore files with an f the cinephiles podcast on instagram john how 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 can they reach you? You can always reach me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. And
0: if you want to see uh, more of my content that I do outside of the cinephiles, go to uh, you, my YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash John Roca says. So much great content on there. Steve and I just did a review of Hamilton uh, for Dis- uh, that uh, the Disney Plus uh, uh, release of Hamilton. We did a nice forty-minute in-depth review of Hamilton and got nerd deep into that show as well. So and uh, with uh, uh, if Steve has more time in the future, I will definitely have him on again we have just an easy rapport reviewing movies and it's a lot of fun to do that with him so look for that all that content there of course sports pro wrestling movies entertainment it's all there and those more and then there's more coming and if you want to be part of my patreon patreon.com slash john roca uh we've got four new shows uh, on the patreon for patrons to enjoy uh ahead of uh the everybody else so there you go that's uh, my
1: plugs for everything well i love i always love coming on outlaw nation and maybe someday you will teach me the lesson of brevity <laughs> no, <laughs> we'll I don't, get there. you and i have never been taught that lesson that's <laughs> for sure <laughs> um so that is it for this week we will see you next time on the cinephiles with another great film